ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This is where the big boys play. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome once again for Where the Big Boys Play. As ever, I'm uh, joined by Chad. How are you doing, Chad? Doing good tonight, Parv. How are you? Long time no see, buddy. Yeah, it's been a little while, but... uh back in it again i uh, had a big birthday celebration a couple days ago the big 28 so congratulations and you can hear the legions of uh where the big boys play fans they've been chanting you know we want chad (laughs) (laughs) there's been a lot of bar but no chad lately yeah feeling overexposed um (laughs) Speaking of overexposure, uh, I'm going to talk. Uh, oh, well, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we have a we have a guest. It's been quite a while since we've had a guest on as well. And our guest this week is Will. How you doing, Will? What's up, guys? You bastards. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna uh, have a guest this week. He's a he's a guy that um you're you're tired of hearing on these podcasts and wish would go away. That that nice introduction. <laughs> No, well, I, I have a much nicer introduction plan for you, Will, because um, in many ways, um, without Will, this show would not exist, and I'll tell you why. Um, I first discovered uh, pro wrestling only through uh, Goodwill Wrestling back in uh, when would it have been? 2011, 2010, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I and then I was like, ooh, you know, these guys seem to know their stuff. I'll see if I can find them and that you know uh, Will mentioned a couple of things he was involved with at the time and I thought I'd track him down and uh, through that I obviously met well, Chad and... <laughs> my, my, my uh, co-host of that show knew enough stuff to actually get hired by WWE true story mm. yes uh, that, that's uh, Rob uh, Naylor of course and um, yeah so I, I want to thank you on air Will for uh, you know in some strange way the show owes its, owes its existence to uh, to you. So, how's that oh, for a compliment? How's that for a compliment? <laughs> that's a better that's a better introduction than um yeah that bastard overexposed will uh, decided to to join us and we really didn't want him as a third will but we're stuck with him because he sucks anyway. I like I like the other one better man. That that's a good introduction. I appreciate Ch- that. Chad, have you got anything nice you want to say about Will before we continue? Well, this is no. I got nothing nice to say about Will. <laughs> but this is our. Uh, this is kind of our unofficial two-year anniversary show too of uh, where the big boys play. So. Is it really? We have that. Yeah, we. I think. I think we started late July, 2012. But. Uh, oh great. Now I. Now I feel special. I am the anniversary guest. That's yeah. badass. Yeah. Well, we made the booking maybe two years ago as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so nope, that's true. Let me tell the story real quick. Yeah, sure. Anyway, um, I was talking to Parv and, and Chad, uh, like what, two years ago. And, uh, I was like, look, I'd like to be a guest on this thing, 
But if I'm going to be a guest, I want to be a guest on what is considered the worst WCW pay-per-view of all time. How great would it be for you to have the worst wrestling podcast host on the worst WCW pay-per-view? And both of them fell for it. So I'm really excited about this. Anyway, continue. Yeah, well, sure. And uh, yes, we're uh, talking about uh, the Great American Bash 91. Um, and uh, well, before we get on to the Meltzers, I mean, usually we do like a get to know you session with the, the guests. But, um, the, you know, Will is a guy who's, you know, had hundreds of hours worth of on air, um, uh, you know, wrestling talk. So if you don't know him by now, sort your lives out and go and check out his back catalogue. So much great stuff there. So, <laughs> um, uh, is there anything you want to mention, Chad? Anything you want to plug? Any, uh, you know, any happenings over at Place to Be, etc. That we should well, mention? Well, well, we'll get a couple of uh, quick plugs out of the way, real quick. First off, uh, me and Will. This was just posted uh, yesterday, and uh, it was SummerSlam 2010 as part of our SummerSlam Rewind series. And, uh, Parv, I know you got 1989 coming up in that series. It should be posted uh, about a week or so from when this will drop. And then we're also, uh, two more quick things where I'm, uh, been watching the G1 Climax, which I'm, I'm posted up to night seven. Uh, I've watched all the way through night nine currently. Uh, it's been pretty rigorous. I've averaged about a show a night, so that's three hours coming home from work and crashing and watching some wrestling. But uh, it's been a lot of fun, a great tournament, getting a lot of hype, so look out for that. And then finally, our World Cup of TV characters kind of on the pop culture side. To me, that's been a lot of fun, uh, some tragedy mixed in and some of the characters that have gotten beat out, but uh, make sure you're voting every day in that. Yeah, Um Oh, uh, and we should mention also Matt D's uh, debut on The Place to Be, shouldn't we? Because starting with this show, starting with The Great American Bash 91, um, uh, before every show drops, Matt D is going to have a companion piece in which he takes apart one match or looks at a particular aspect of the show. And uh, he's going to try... Like, if anybody's ever read read Matt D's stuff on PWO, he kind of comes out of left field a little bit sometimes. you think that's fair, Chad? I would say he takes a unconventional look at things. I, I think that's a fair statement. Yes. So um, yeah, and uh, once in a while I will also uh, you know refer to that uh, as it as and when it is appropriate. But I encourage you to uh, check out Matt D's stuff on Place to Be and uh, and also on PWO. Um, will, do you have anything to plug? No, man. Um... We're doing the Fixing the WWE series at a place to be. And and then uh, Chad summed up the rest, and that's it. So we're good. Yeah, and if you haven't listened, um, I, I thought the – where was the show that you had Har- Harrington on? I thought that was a really good show. The, the one That was number on. two. Number two, yeah. I thought that was a particularly uh, interesting, you know, comprehensive look at that topic. Um, oh, I, I've, I've loved all of them. I thought the first one – with Dylan where we ran down and kind of remodeled the WWE roster was good. The second one is one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Cause Chris Harrington had so much energy. He's known as Mookie Ghana over at, um, the wrestling observer and DVD VR boards for people who don't know. And, um, number three, I had a blast with Dylan and Charles where we, uh, fixed WWE booking. And, and I, I, I've had a blast doing all of those shows. 
you know, it's one thing to criticize the modern product, the WWE product. It's another thing to say, well, these are the solutions that we would give to these problems that exist. So that's what we'd like to do. Great. Yeah. So, so, so check those out. Um, is that it? I think that's it. Um, yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah. One one thing more. Do you know who's uh, really underrated, Chad? Who? Mick Foley. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on. What? what, what oh, oh, come on. It doesn't doesn't matter. Some people will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra. Wrestling Observer Extra. With Dave Meltzer. So let's move on to the Meltzers because there is a lot of stuff um, to talk about uh, this week. Um, our last show was uh, Clash of the Champions 15. Um, which uh, I seem to recall was a complete shower of shit, as as has a, a lot of the shows that we've been looking at recently, Chad. I think it's fair to say a shower of shit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's been a well, lot. the clashes. I would say the clashes. I mean the uh, the um the other. I mean the pay per views. I think we've talked about have been pretty good, but yeah, the clashes have been a rough go. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. The stuff cut out of Super Brawl. The stuff that didn't make the Turner tape was basically all wrestle crap. I seem to remember. Uh, let me uh, before you get into the Meltzer, let me just read this uh, letter that was posted in the Torch, and uh, then we're going to let Will guess who wrote this letter. I believe Clash 15 was definitely one of the best clashes. The only problem was there were too many matches and too many commercials. PN News' skit was a total waste of time. The most beautiful shots of the night were the Pauly telephone shot on that punk Jason Hervey, Nikita sticking Sting on the floor, and Morton's sneak attack on Gibson. Is he back or was this a one-shot deal? Michael Hayes was terrible and totally disorganized. That was the only match I did not predict accurately. The best match was Flair versus Eaton, which I gave four stars. Second place goes to Steiners versus Hase and Chono. Worst match goes to Stud versus Rich, followed closely by Oz's squash. Austin's match, well, if you blinked, you missed it. Overall, a big thumbs up, but Flair versus Eaton looked rushed. Now, Will has done many a podcast with the individual that wrote that letter. It has to be Rob Naylor. That is Tim Knoll from Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> Timmy. Bringing that Stop one in. Timmy. Well, Rob and Tim, they, they kind of like the same stuff in their wrestling. So that's why I could easily see, like, but you know what? Rob Rob was always an observer guy. I don't think he was a torch guy. So that makes sense. Give a shout out to Timmy. <laughs> All right, then. June, June the 24th. And uh, Scott Steiner has torn his bicep while he was trying to skin the cat at a St. Louis show, and he's undergone surgery. It seems like Scott Steiner gets injured every single week, doesn't it? Um, so uh, the planned Steiners and Missy Hyatt versus Arn Anderson, Barry Windham, and Paulie Dangerously match uh, that was scheduled to take place at the Bash is now going to have to be changed. Uh, Meltzer thinks that the planned Bash show is hard to get excited about because they're trying to sell the show on gimmicks rather than matchups. We've got Flair versus Luger in a cage, which we are, we've seen before, and in the intergender match, um, which is now going to have to be changed, the scaffold match, the Russian chain match, the lumberjack match, and the stuff around the yellow uh, dog's mask. So clearly, like, there's not a lot of hot feuds going on. It's more just gimmick matches. I like uh, it. You you like that, Will? 
I, I love gimmick matches, man. So, I mean, do, bring do it think, out. Do you think it's good Dusty getting a bit desperate? He's out of ideas, so he's just going to, you know, let's just have all the ideas that he's got, all his old ideas on one I, card. <laughs> I think Dusty could fucking fart and come up with a new idea. You know what I mean? Like, hmm, that fart gave me a new idea, and that, that's it. <laughs> I mean, really, man. The, the, come on, man. Dusty's a legend. The worst thing about Dusty matches are the finishes. The, but the, he's, he's usually pretty good at putting stuff together and making it make sense. Mm. Well, he would, you would have been, uh, judging by the rest of these observers I'm going to get through, uh, that would have been a minority opinion in 1991, I'll tell you that. Um, Vince McMahon's uh, Vince's World Bodybuilding Federation opened this weekend to a rousing success. Uh, Saturday night in Atlantic City it drew an enthusiastic packed house of 4,200 fans at the Taj Mahal approximately 2,300 paid uh, but Vince is selling illusion so it doesn't matter if the event itself lost money Meltzer says that if it's perceived as a success which it will be the idea starting out is to make a big impression since the event was obviously designed as a lost leader any event uh, any comments on the WBF <laughs> He started it here, Chad. Um, well, I mean, I think think it's probably up there with the XFL was kind of the two most notorious vent side projects that fell through. I uh, I was really young around this time, so I remember them hyping it, but I, I, I never watched or followed it or anything and haven't had any desire to do it now that I'm older. Has bodybuilding ever been over? I, w- I want to say maybe in the mid seventies it had a, like around the time when like um, kung fu Ar- films. Arnold. Arnold. I would say Arnold, uh, but and that kind of feels like. Uh, I mean, to me, it feels like the bodybuilding world was Arnold, and then everybody else, and really people were just interested in Arnold, not the thing, the event as a whole. Which sometimes you see that. I mean, like. Uh, I guess I liken it to maybe like skateboarding with Tony Hawk. I mean, you know, you know who Tony Hawk is, but you don't know really any other skateboarders. Something yeah. like. Or like, uh, what's that? Evil, evil Knievel. Yeah, a little uh, bit evil, evil that type of vibe. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, in other news, they shot an angle in which Kevin Sullivan and one man gang attacked El Gigante and cut half his hair off. Uh, have you seen that? Uh, angle play out, Chad, on the 91 footage? Um, I, I have seen that play out before, and uh, it's pretty humorous. It's uh, this. We'll, we'll get into it, but this whole feud is just a complete mess. I, why, why these two decided to be paired up, I'll never know, but uh, yeah, Gigante vowing revenge after getting his hair cut uh, was pretty humorous. Will, were you upset to see your boy one man gang? treated as a, basically a fat transvestite here in uh, 1991 well i think it's an homage to alice cooper and right. i think one man gang was listening to the um billion dollar babies album and felt like hmm i could do that makeup thing and i think it comes off okay <laughs> all right uh melton mentions a three and a half star tv match uh bobby eaton and the yellow dog who is of course uh, brian pillman under the hood taking on Ric Flair in the Diamond Stud. Any of you guys seen that match? No. All that one, yeah. Uh, That's going to have to be one of the last TV appearances of Ric, I'd have thought. Um, WCW had a disastrous show in St. Louis where they drew only 1,726 fans. 
which is an appalling uh, crowd in St. Louis. Uh, they paid Sam Muchnick $2,000 to come out and greet the fans in a bid to purchase respectability. They pushed the local promotion hard, but fans in the area are just turned off by the product right now. So uh, clearly uh, WCW having problems drawing in St. Louis there. There is also talk of uh, Jason Hervey um, taking on poorly dangerously in a one-on-one match at the next Omni show. <laughs> I'm guessing that didn't happen. I would have paid, I would have paid for that. <laughs> would you, Chad would have been there. He'd have been cheering for Hervey to get his head kicked in, no doubt. But here's the thing, man. Y'all, y'all look at Jason Hervey as just this horrible um, WCW announcer, Eric Bischoff sidekick. People my age remember him as the older brother in the Wonder Years. Like when the Wonder Years was actually on TV, not reruns. Okay. Because right. I think you're a little bit too young for the Wonder Years, right, uh, Chad? Yeah, yeah, it was before yeah. my time. So to see Jason Hervey, like, with any sense that he might get his ass kicked in the ring, you're kind of pumped up for that. Oh, yeah, hell yeah. You know, Fred Savage's older brother is going to get his ass kicked. He, he comes across like a complete heel when he uh, when he made his appearance uh, in the Clash. Like, yeah. Uh, have have we gotten to the point? I don't know. If, I, I think you had to have seen this, Chad, where uh, they're on Dusty Rhodes' uh, little skit show. What's his skit show called? Yeah, the, the Bull Drop In. We talked about that last The time. Bull Drop In with my main man, Jason Hervey, introducing PN P News. Yeah. yeah. And you've never seen anything until you've seen Dusty Rhodes and Jason Hervey dancing to the PN News theme song going, Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. All right. I'm amped up for talking about PN News tonight. So make sure you all check that out. Jason Hervey, D- Dusty Rhodes, Bull Drop In, Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. Continue. July, July the 1st, and the uh, Dr. Saurian trial is uh, ongoing. And uh, in quite a dick move he's named Hulk Hogan in court as one of the wrestlers he sold steroids to without doubt says Meltzer Zorian's defense attorney is guilty of using the media to deflect attention away from his client and onto the WWF regardless shit is about to hit the fan Uh, the WF have pulled Hogan from his weekend dates and are refusing to take calls from the press Uh, they are saying that Hogan has a neck injury Uh, Meltzer says that the naming of Hogan has turned the Zahorian trial into a marquee event. Jerry Lawler has been quoted as saying, it's a miracle this hasn't come out before now. Steroids are obviously a requirement for those WWF guys. I'll leave it there. But this That's goes on. awesome. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll leave it there. It goes on for several more pages. Um, Meltzer's like clearly going for his Pulitzer Prize in this particular observer because, um, you know, this steroid story just hit. It was obviously a massive deal in 91. We don't usually cover the WF stories, but uh, this one seems like it was worthy of being mentioned. Um, I mean, I don't know if anything else more can be said about the, the steroids deal in 91. Well, 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 I'll tell you what, you added Jerry Lawler. Hey, uh, par- uh, Chad, did you mention Dr. Lawler on a previous show? Yes or no? No, I don't think we have. You want to describe uh, what he does, Will? Jerry Lawler comes out on the Memphis... Um, uh, stage with Lance Russell, maybe, maybe not Lance Russell, but whoever. And he comes out and he challenges Kerry Von Erich, um, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, and um, Sting to all take a steroid test and that he would be happy to take a steroid test. 
And back in 90, when Lawler was the AWA Unified World Champion, he said that he was the only uh, clean uh, world champion in existence. So it does not surprise me at all that it was Lawler who uh, got his digs in in this Ahorian trial. Yeah, and no, I've seen that. It's from that's from 1990 in USWA. Yep. Yep. Right? Excellent, excellent stuff. Back in the WCW land, and the future of Ric Flair is very much in doubt during contract negotiations between Evil Jim Hurd and Flair's lawyer Dennis Guthrie. Heard told Guthrie that the company was giving Flair 30 days notice, and rumours are circulating that Flair's last day in the company uh, will either be at the Baltimore Bash on July the 14th, or the July 22nd Los Angeles date. To add insult to injury, the Los Angeles card is set to be headlined by Flair and Paulie Dangerously against Missy Hyatt and Lex Luger, managed by Jason Hervey. Melter says this is the ultimate insult to send off the greatest NWA champion in history by involving him as a setup man for a few comedy spots. As of Tuesday, Flair hasn't got a notification from uh, the office of his notice, and Evil Jim Hurd has denied the story. He claims they are just negotiating a contract extension, uh, which by all accounts would re require Flair to take a huge pay cut from his current uh, $750,000 a year deal. Flair is actually under contract with WCW until July the 1st, sorry, June the 1st, 1992. However, he has an escape clause in his contract that allows him to quit with 30 days notice. However, WCW does not have a similar escape clause in, it, in their contract, which means which seems to mean that the company can't legally give Flair notice without having uh, to give him a payoff for the duration of the contract. Other sources say, however, that there are loopholes in the company's benefit. Now, now Chad, uh, you're an accountant. How does that sound like a contract? Uh, who, do, who, who do you think drew up that contract for WCW? Well, more on the uh, lawyer side of things, I would say. But, uh, yeah, I mean, well, it sounds like kind of what... I know you're not familiar with the current product uh, part, but it sounds a little bit like what Alberto Del Rio is going through now, where he was fired, but uh, does he or doesn't he have a no uh, non-compete? There's some speculation both ways on that, and he's being advertised this Sunday, the same day as uh, SummerSlam 2014 for uh, AAA's Triple Mania show, which is their biggest show of the year, uh, not in a wrestling capacity, but they're have him scheduled to appear so it'll be interesting kind of if anything results from that now there's a lot more to talk about the, the flare story let's hold our horses we'll we'll get onto it in, in a moment um right. in the meantime uh dan spivey has been fired yeah. thank, thank fuck for that. <laughs> you're kidding me are you kidding me dan spivey was fired. no I, yeah. I don't care i don't care about that uh, there was now this is in uh well this Okay, so I did uh, look through a couple of torches. Torch um, changed to a new format, and it's a lot easier to read and sort through, so we're grateful for that. And uh, in Torch 129, they talk about Spivey being fired, uh, but apparently he was uh, testified in the Zahorian stuff. Correct. And there's kind of linking, a lot of people are linking him to being fired to because of that but he's claiming it had nothing to do with it yeah, but who M knows Meltzer also says it seems like very convenient timing but uh do you know what the reason was he was fired <laughs> no uh, Keller didn't have the actual legit reason <laughs> it's because he refused a job to PN News well yeah, I can respect that 
I can't believe Dan Spivey would disrespect the business like that. <laughs> Christ. Wouldn't do the honors. Um, Scott Steiner will likely be back in three to four months. Uh, the Angel of Death suffered torn ligaments after PN News accidentally did a big splash on his yeah. knees rather than his chest. So he'll be out of action for six months. Yeah, yeah. I think what PN News was really doing there was telling Angel of Death, Sir, I'm going to help you get out of this cruel and heartless and corrupt business by making sure you cannot walk into a ring again. He <laughs> News is everywhere. Yeah, he's a disaster zone, isn't he? Like, anyone yeah. who gets involved with him is out of wrestling. Like. <laughs> my, 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 my sole contribution to tonight's show will be to mention PN News during every match. <laughs> uh, WCW is trying to cut costs by offering all newcomers $300 per show rather than guaranteed contracts. They want to phase out higher priced guys with the exception of Sting, Luger and the Steiners and they want to bring in a crew of uh, gimmick newcomers. The, the actual contracts are $300 per show for a minimum of 60 dates which works out at $18,000 a year which is a long, long way from the guaranteed contract. Well, wait, that's $18,000 for 60 dates? For 60 dates. Is that right? Yeah. 60 dates, $300. Well, okay, but they're, but they're going to work more than... Yeah, uh, it's just that the, con- the contract says that they get 60 dates minimum. Okay, so the minimum is 18000 Okay. Yeah. Got it. Um, speaking of gimmick newcomers, four newcomers coming in are known as the American Patriots. Had the American Patriots, the Fireman, Curtis Thompson, the Policeman, Bill Kazmaier, the Private, Todd Champion, and the Garbage Man, Pez Watley. <laughs> this oh, this really does... <laughs> this sounds like the worst shit ever. <laughs> Supposedly, TBS have a cartoon show uh, called the American Patriots uh, coming on as well as a cross-promotional uh, tool. I, this, I, it sounds more like the village people to me, Christ. <laughs> this this sounds absolutely important. I'm guessing this didn't actually happen, right? Well, we yeah, well we do get the Patriots, and we get and we get Firebreaker Chip. Yeah, Firebreaker Chip and Todd Champion do come in, and yeah. I mean Kazmaier comes in, but he's not as a policeman. He's doing his strongman gimmick. Uh, I don't I don't know what happened with Pez as the garbage man that got. Oh, you know, it does show that they are ahead of their time. That they did this before uh, T.L. Hopper, you know. Well, and before Duke the Dumpster. Duke, Duke so the Dumpster. That, yeah. yeah, he was the okay. So the plumber was T.L. Hopper, right? Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> Duke the Dumpster draws it. He was the garbage man. Yeah, so this is ahead of its time. Got to give him props for their forward thinking. Right. Yeah, they're forward thinking. Booking Pez Watley in 1991. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Now, LiveGate's uh, business is not doing particularly well. LiveGate's are down as low as 500. That's a crowd of 500 people in Battle Creek. Um, and 1,000 yep. 1, people in Greensboro. That's 1,000 people in Greensboro. Is this with Flair still wrestling on the cards? Um, this Well, Flair hasn't left yet. Uh, yep. I, don't know, I don't know if he's on this Greensboro card. but uh, I have not... that Greensboro card. Uh, give me yeah. just a second. I had a note on the the uh, they did another show in a high school, and Keller, the person that reported the show to Keller, said only like one out of six advertised matches happened, and uh, Barry Wyndham no showed, and they kept advertising him, so they ended up having Mike Graham in the main event. 
Oh, God. Which is oh, God. absolutely atrocious and unbelievable that he was there. Okay, uh, let me get this. So, yeah, the Greensboro card, um, the main event of it was Nikita versus Luger in a Russian change match, uh, Hanson versus Sting, Dustin versus Black Bart, PN News, Angel of Death, Hughes, Bobby, Mr. Hughes and Bobby Eaton, um, Steve Austin, Tommy Angel, and then some undercard matches. So no flair. So no flair in that one. So we cannot blame flair for the poor drawing house in Greensboro. Looks like flair may have been at the Omni that night. I, I tell you what, for for WCW to draw that in Greensboro is just, I mean, it's, that's, horrend, that's horrendous. Because uh, that's their backyard. <laughs> Meltzer says the market is something worse than abominable, um, which I'd say is pretty much true. Anyway, yeah, I mean, the, the Omni Show only drew twenty seven hundred, so that's pretty bad. And that main event was El Gigante and Luger beat One Man Gang and Flair in a stretcher match. So, well, okay, so so Flair is good for another seventeen hundred people. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, July the 8th and Ric Flair has been fired by WCW on Monday effective immediately after both sides failed to reach an agreement on the contract extension which would be from June the 1st through uh, May the 31st 1994 the official word was faxed uh, Monday afternoon by evil Jim Hurd to Flair's attorney Dennis Guthrie in Charlotte now, let me ask you, Parv, is Meltzer calling him Evil Jim Hurd, or are you calling him Evil Jim Hurd? No, this is, uh, this is a little um, where the big boy plays on by us. Uh, it was actually coined by our buddy uh, Brad many shows ago, and uh, since then we always call him Evil Jim Hurd. Okay, so, I'm just making sure, just making sure. I, no, I no, no, sure. I, I know uh, uh, Meltzer's got his own nicknames, right? Like uh, the Junk Food Dog, Anabolic Warrior, etc. <laughs> <laughs> um, He's so creative. The, uh, basically, the fact said that Flair's contract is terminated effective August the 1st, 1991. Uh, Flair was scheduled to drop the title to Barry Windham on August the 1st in Macon, Georgia, um, in a revised plan this past week that had been subject uh, of many behind-the-scenes wranglings. It was announced on TV, however, on TV this was, that Flair was stripped of the title because of contractual problems, which is basically the truth. And they've announced Wyndham versus Luger for the held-up title in Baltimore. Meltzer says that this marks the first time in the 43-year history of the uh, NWA uh, WCW that the World Heavyweight title didn't change hands in the ring. Um, WCW had offered Flair $350,000 a year, which is half his current, current salary, and he just wasn't willing to take that. Um, there was ego involved, of course, because this would involve um, this would put Flair on less than Lex Luger, who was on six hundred thousand, and on less than Sting. With WCW making cutbacks anyway, they just couldn't justify the cost, and they let Flair go. But then, then hold on, hold on. But didn't they also let Luger go shortly after? Oh no, no, no um, like in '92 or '93. Oh, yeah, I mean he yeah. he's gone. His last show is Super Brawl 2 in February of 92. So, yeah, about, so we're so, talking about so eight months. They were to drop these huge contracts. So I, I... It's a little ways off. Um, Turner Home Entertainment uh, have reportedly vetoed the idea of Luger versus Wyndham as the main event because the publicity had already gone out for Flair versus Luger 
and it was too late to redo the infomercial. So things are re like things are just chaos behind the scenes here. Turner are saying we can't have this as the main event. They've already announced it on TV. <laughs> um, Meltzer also says that you can't overlook Dusty's role, Dusty Rhodes' role in all of this, since he partly blames Flair for losing him his job as a booker in 1988. So like, and Dusty's obviously the booker at this point here. Eh, Dusty can do no wrong. Flair needed uh, it. What, Get one it more. One more complication. Uh, WCW need a new belt because Flair technically owns the current NWA title. And under the circumstances, there is no reason at all for him to return it. Where next for Flair? asked Mel Meltzer. Most likely the WWF. Um, but there is one thing at the back of uh, one's mind, he says, that wonders, does King Hoss Flair have a nice ring to it? <laughs> uh, Meltzer says the I loss is... I love it. I love it. <laughs> Meltzer says the loss isn't going to be a crippling uh, blow to WCW. That has already occurred because it was just one. It wasn't just one blow, he says, but a steady stream of shots to the joint. Flair was synonymous with the NWA. He wasn't synonymous with WCW. The only thing WCW was synonymous with is disaster. Ouch. So um, let's pause here and have a little think about uh, this situation. Uh, there is there is more stuff coming up on this story, but uh, some initial thoughts. Firing Ric Flair in 1991. Will. Check it out, man. Um, I don't like the fact that they got rid of Ric Flair because it dilutes their talent pool. But if the man has only drawn 2,700 in the Omni, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure, Chad or, or Parv, you could look up the numbers. WCW's numbers were shit anyway, right? Throughout the year. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they're not, they're probably not drawing big crowds unless it's like uh, pay per views or, or something like that anyway. So, if Flair is taking a pay cut, you know, or if Flair is from the old school where, you know, you get paid according to the asses and seats, hey, man, look at all those empty seats around. You need to take a pay cut. And oh, yeah, you know what? Your buddy Luger, we're going to do the same with him next you know when his contract's up and if things don't turn around you know i think they would have done the same for sting too it's just you know i actually get the reasoning behind cutting it and it wasn't like i mean i mean three hundred and fifty thousand a year man i don't know man i might give one of my testicles for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year <laughs> I, I i would consider it i think i would yeah any initial thoughts chad um, well, this, of course, is probably, I would say, the biggest story of 1991 we'll encounter. Easily. And and, and one of the bigger stories, and definitely in WCW land, and really maybe, Parv, uh, one of the bigger stories since we started doing these shows. When you I would look say next to the turn of buyout in 88, this has been yeah. the bigger story. And in terms of, I mean, as we'll see, in terms of the fan reaction, this is the this seems like the big, like, well, I, I'll get on to it, but... Uh, I haven't seen anything like this in the observers yet. Right. This, the, I mean, when you look at the history of uh, from Starcade to the closing of WCW, you might actually consider this. It's it's got a chance to be a top five important story uh, for the company. It's it's up there, and and there's a lot of issues going on. I, I do think both parties were at blame, uh, which seems to happen with most of these things. Flair did seem checked out as we've seen he seemed a little directionless whether that was him kind of been taking the book away from him in 1990 and the black scorpion nonsense and then 
the whole Spartacus uh, proposition that was given to him, fight with her, him not wanting to drop the belt to Luger. There just seemed to be a lot of dismay between flair and upper management in wcw and i think that was reflected on the screen and i think that was reflected in the product so at at the end of the day it almost seems like this was an inevitable event that was bound to happen and this was just the time it did happen where they kind of had a meeting at the head where her definitely wanted luger to become the new guy and win the belt at Great American Bash. It didn't work with Sting last year, so they were going to reboot WCW. Luger was going to beat Flair in the cage in Baltimore and start started over again, and Flair just wasn't willing to do it, so he took his stand, and they just said, well, you well, can take a walk. But hold, hold on, hold on, Chad. Uh, you know, look at the business they were doing. Now, I'm not saying the booking doesn't have any... Um, uh, correlation with that but what what i am asking is flair's not bringing the goods you know what i mean and 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 now you know with this idea that well i won't put luger over well christ man you have you refuse to put him over for the last four years or three years ever since what 88 you yeah. know yeah. How, how are they supposed to build stars how are they supposed to get these guys to generate money if, if the other guy doesn't uh you know do the honor so to speak it just i don't know man i'm not i'm i'm not I, like I said, I think the loss of Ric Flair is is huge, but at the same time, I'm not in Flair's corner on this. You know, you you got to take a pay cut because if you want a job, or if we want to continue to employ the rest of the wrestlers, you know, that are out there, uh, you know, working with you, you know, people got, you know, I mean, we're not doing good. You know, you can't expect close to seven figures or you know seven hundred thousand or whatever he was making. When we have 2,700 people in the Omni, when there's 1,000 people in Greensboro, when there's 12 people in some high school gym. Yeah, yeah, 1,300 at uh, UIC in Chicago, and that was a show Flair was on. You know I, what I mean? Like, like, you're not bringing the goods anymore, man. I mean, not saying it's all Flair's fault. You know, booking has a huge impact on that. But your star isn't shining like it did five years ago, man. You know? Well, there's going to be loads more on this. Let, let me uh, let me move on, and we'll uh, we'll come back to exactly these uh, issues that Will is getting into here. Because July the fifteenth, um, Meltzer says to say there's been plenty of fallout regarding the firing of Ric Flair by WCW would be the understatement of the year. Surprisingly, the story was picked up by AP and Knight Ridder national news uh, wires, and most newspapers ran with it. It received, obviously, the most mainstream news coverage in North Carolina, naturally, where Flair is the biggest star in the history of that region. Um, virtually all coverage has been sympathetic to Flair, with one sportscaster calling for a boycotting of WCW shows. Meltzer says that among observant newsreaders, no wrestler has ever been as popular as Ric Flair. He's been the newsletter's most popular wrestler for seven straight years, and won Wrestler of the Year for seven of the past nine years. Meltzer says it's very easy to take Flair's side in this, not only because he's in the right, but also because he's arguably the best wrestler in the history of the business, and WCW has done a frankly miserable job of promoting pro wrestling since it took over JCP in 1988. Meltzer does try to look at things from uh, Jim Hurd's point of view, uh, however, which is mainly that they needed to make pay cuts and Flair's, you know, was an obvious place to start. However, Flair's deal was less um, 
than what they reportedly offered to Sid Vicious before he jumped to WWF. They apparently were offering Sid something like 1.2 million at that point. Um, but age is an undeniable factor um, uh, in this. Ric Flair's 40 in 1991. And, the pre, uh, and in the pre-steroids trial environment, regardless of his lack of ability, Sid would have been seen as a more marketable prospect by some people. Um, there were also fears of Flair holding up the title over dropping the belt to Luger at the Baltimore Bash, which is one reason why the contingency plan of the title drop to Wyndham in Macon was made. Um, Meltzer says that he reckons he could see something like this coming even as far back as 1990 when he dropped the uh, title to Sting last year. He said it was clear that he was going to be uh, de-emphasized by WCW, Flair this is. When Sting failed in the role, they pulled a U-turn and then went back to Flair. But since winning the title, he's only been involved in one program, and that program has been with El Gionte, which is bound to be disappointing. Nevertheless, gates were up for that program compared to Sting's time on top. So Melter's saying that Flair versus El Gionte drew more than Sting as champion. Okay. Uh, Meltzer asks, however, even taking all of that into account, he asks, was Flair worth 750k a year? in the new WCW regime. Was he worth 750k in revenue? Uh, we'll come back to that in a moment. In another twist, uh, yes, let's, let's, let's come back to this question right now. Chad, was he worth 750k a year in revenue, in your estimation? Um, well, the, co the company was terrible financially at this point. So I don't think it's out of the question to ask for a pay cut whether that should have been half or not fine that's but but that is and, and we don't know the whole story of course but i think that is where you get into a negotiation uh, with flair about that it's 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 very tough to gauge how much or what what was offered and whether they just said you're taking 350 and or you know you're fired or exactly what happened but I, I do think it's very tough to justify that he should still remain the amount paid that he was based on what the business was doing. Uh, but there's just a lot of moving factors. I mean, I don't think that El Gigante, I'd have to look at the totals, but that 1300 number in Chicago was versus El Gigante, which I, I mean, I, I think that's certainly an injustice that Gigante's not over, but that that's not good in a major market i mean chicago should definitely be drawing more than 1300 people i i think the point is though that uh if you're going to cut flares uh set figure they have to say to flair right well we're also going to start we're still you're still going to be paid more than sting and luger i think that's going to be the sticking point with flair is like why should he get paid less when he's doing you know x amount of work when it's still his name on top of the marquee when he's rick flair and you what like Luger's going to get paid more than me? You can you can understand why he wouldn't want to take that cut when those factors were involved. No, but, but, but hold on, hold on. But his contract is coming up, right? Like if I think if his it wasn't like they they didn't honor his contract. It, it was, was coming a, up it was in a contract uh, renewal, right? June June ninety two is when uh, it ran until. So oh so the, so they fired him rather than pay him the the till the end of his contract. Yeah, I think they still had to pay him. They still had to pay him. It's just they didn't. Uh, they didn't renew it. Um, but uh, June of ninety two or ninety one? June of ninety two. 
Yeah, yeah, you had you had months left on it. You ran all the way until '92. So, so, so the the failure to renew the contract combined with refusing to put Luger over is kind of what did him in then. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, Meltzer, Meltzer doesn't actually mention the refusal to put Luger over. I think that's something that's come out after the fact, because um, that's something that you hear about now, but it doesn't seem to be in these newsletters. I mean, the Spartacus thing was well known, right? I mean, it was clear that him and Hurd weren't seeing eye to eye. So. Yeah. Um, in a well, I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's a very uh, tricky one because don't forget that the 750k isn't just as a payment for revenue. It's also a payment as a safeguard against. Well, you're not going to jump to WF now. Because that's the thing that WCW... That's what's pushed these figures up in the first place, right? It's because they want to secure their main talent against being poached by Vince. Which he's yeah, been doing. The which guaranteed been... contracts were a by-factor of the uh, Vince system in the 80s of basically being able to offer contracts, higher-paid contracts in a lot of cases, and more mainstream visibility, so... Uh, kind of care, guaranteed contracts were a counter counter attack to that. Yeah, I think they. I mean, I think they're basically stupid, aren't they? I mean, you can like it's, it's just trouble to give wrestlers this much money, guaranteed. You know. Well, I mean, if business is good, um, it's 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 really tough. I I do agree with the sentiment that Flair, even in '91. Um, even that he's not the flair that we really remember from the mid eighties, he's lost maybe a half step. Uh, he, he, I do think it has been proven that he's can draw better than sting. I mean, I would, I would, I would put sting in that category because sting has had a shot, you know, I mean, sting, even though he may have been facing Sid on house shows, I, I would put Sid up against El Gigante, <laughs> you know, that neither one is great shakes, but, uh, just on paper, to me, Sting versus Sid would have more going for it as a feud around house shows than Flair versus Gigante. Uh, so if Flair versus Gigante was more successful than that, then that to me is a pretty big indictment of Sting. Luger to me is is tougher just because he hasn't had that run. I mean, with Flair having that run, there's there's a lot of establishment there. I mean, to take again to use a modern example. Uh, the, the first Daniel Bryan Daniel Bryan was kind of blamed a lot of last year for some low buy rates on pay-per-views well this was his first you know big run at the top so I, I do see the argument that it's kind of silly to think that he will draw better than somebody like John Cena who's been on top for a decade at this point and, and the same was with Flair I mean he'd been a top guy in this promotion for around a decade now uh, so so he's he's a guy that people know. He's a household name in some areas. Well, uh, in another twist of fate, uh, the NWA still technically exists as an organization. And I, I have to say this made me laugh quite a lot. <laughs> Even though it doesn't actually promote any wrestling shows, um, it still exists, the NWA. And it is announced that it will still be recognizing Flair as world champion. Under NWA bylaws, the board of directors control recognition of the championship, and the board has voted on Friday to recognize Flair, and issue and it, they've issued this statement. And I'll read this statement. Imagine this in like the voice of Jack Tunney or something. <laughs> 
The board of directors of the National Wrestling Alliance are aware of the actions of World Championship Wrestling and Ric Flair. The WCW stripping of the World Championship Wrestling title from Mr. Flair. The National Wrestling Alliance board wants to make it abundantly clear to wrestling fans and the general public that the National Wrestling Alliance continues to recognise Nature Boy Ric Flair as the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, the NWA legal counsel Bob uh, Trobich explained that WCW simply don't have the authority to strip Flair of the title. They can crown anyone they want to as their own world champion, but this is NWA business. And who, who were the NWA at this time, you may be wondering? Steve Ricard, a promoter in uh, New Zealand. Yep. Don, o, Don Owen up in Portland. Yep. Oh, Elliot, yeah. Elliot Muchnick, who is just related to Sam Muchnick and doesn't really run anything. And Jim Crockett Jr. himself, who still owns a minority stake in WCW, but for all intents and purposes is done. So <laughs> that was the NWA board at this point. Um, is this basically a non-factor, or is this basically the end of the NWA as we know it? Oh, yeah, they're, they're done. Yeah, they're done. I think this is the final straw of them totally alienating themselves from WCW. I mean, we'd seen that gradually uh, throughout the 90s, where... You definitely saw less mention to the NWA. It was always called the World uh, WCW World Heavyweight Title and stuff like that. But this this really is the end of the road. And I would say the only, I guess, precedent of this was them recognizing him as champion and then Flair with the whole belt situation being able to use that when he jumped to uh, WWF. Yeah, well, I mean, what made me laugh is, um, I mean, they're basically irrelevant by this point, but the level of self-important under NWA bylaws is like, yeah. come on, dude, we don't care, like, nobody cares by this point, you know? Grasping at straws there. I mean, even I, I thought when you were running through the people that you might mention that Jerry Jarrett or somebody was a uh, NWA board member at this time, but even he yeah. wasn't, and, you know, USWA was your number three promotion i would say in um in the in the america in 1991 then you had global starting up so i guess they had nothing to do with this and even like twa a pretty big indie promotion up in the philly area had uh, uh, all japan pulled out by this point as well like, yeah, yeah it seems like it yeah they don't, they don't seem to be involved either uh well, anyway, the most interesting possibility now, Melter says, is that Flair could go to the WWF as NWA champion. <laughs> Come off it, Dave, as if that could ever happen. <laughs> um, so, uh, for, 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 WCW, this, for WCW, this hasn't gone very well from a fan point of view. Uh, although they've lost uh, many key names over the past few years, Ricky Steamboat, Terry Funk, the Road Warriors, Barry Windham, the Great Muta, Sid, to name just a few. Uh, the reaction to this is on a completely different scale, he says. We Want Flair chants rang out at the Meadowlands this past week with smaller chants of Dusty Sucks after an announcement was made in the building. The event has been handled very poorly at live events with no advance warning that Flair wouldn't appear uh, and no offers of a refund. And I have to say, um, you know I covered uh, SummerSlam 89 recently well, uh, just before SummerSlam 89, Hogan got injured and they had to pull him from all the live uh, events at the time. They sent a beefcake in his uh, stead. And WWF, they made advance warnings that Hogan was not going to be at the 
not going to be at the arena and they gave a full refund to anybody who wanted them and as I, as I understand it WF have always done that even even today if like John Cena can't make a show or something um, they announce it and they give a refund so this is uh, I think this is one of the key little things that you know WWFE have always got right that uh, WCW never really did would you agree with that Chad? Yeah I mean that um that that Meadowland show, there's a there's a, a fan cam of a there there was a war games on that show. It's Sting, Luger, Yellow Dog, and Gigante versus Wyndham, Nikita, One Man Gang, and Sullivan. And you can hear the We Won't Flare chants during that match. I, I actually think it's louder than the chants at the Bash show we're about to review. Uh, so so there did seem to be a little bit of shadiness i would say with the way flair went out and then on tv i mean you have heard kind of basically goading that rick flair was fired in a in a very a very weird segment that he does on wcw saturday night where they talk about that they couldn't come to an agreement on the contract the title's vacant and all this um they do her does wish Flair the best in that little segment, but it feels very <laughs> disingenuous, uh, not sincere at all. And and the way they presented Flair, even even in this hey, show. Hey, hold on, hold on, Chad. Who are you to doubt Jim Hurd? That's Hurt. all I had to say. Jim Hurd's sincerity, yes. Um, but they they really played it up like Flair was just playing hardball and. If you were a hardcore fan at this time, I, I mean, I think that's another meta issue that we maybe can get into a little bit more, but just yeah. rallying for Flair. Well, it's my net. It's my next. Uh, well, I have a few, couple of. Uh, I'm just gonna last three bits on the Meltzers then. Despite all of this, uh, well, first of all, in the mainstream, of course, you have to remember that all of this has been overshadowed by the Doctor Zahorian case, which is still ongoing. So, I mean, if you're like Joe Public, you know, like the number one thing you hear about is Hulk Hogan taking steroids. Um, and then quite a fit, you know, number two, but quite a bit way down in your kind of level of awareness. You may know that Ric Flair has been fired, you know, but, um, but I, I'm guessing like many more people would know about the Hogan case. Um, despite all of this. So obviously, like wrestling in general is going through a bit of a tough time. Um, uh, you know, during the summer of 1991. Um, however, the first week of the Bash Tour has been WCW's biggest box office success of the year. They had a 4,000 uh, uh, 4,000 sellout in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, um, and they had their and that Meadowland show that you mentioned, uh, Chow, was their biggest live gate aside from the Tokyo Dome all year. Did, did any any guess at the attendance? Um, I don't, I don't know what seven, eight thousand, maybe five thousand eight hundred. Nice. Drawing eighty-seven thousand dollars, which is actually their biggest live gate since Starcade. That, I mean, that, that also that is, Hall of Famer Sting bringing in the fans. <laughs> that is really, really shit, isn't it? Um. God, uh, look at the the next night or two nights after that, I'm looking on Graham's site. Uh, they were in Philly, eighteen hundred people. Really bad, and that's Sting and Koloff in the main event in a Russian chain match. Don't don't you get the feeling that really, like 1991 WCW is like 2014 TNA? 
<laughs> like, like there's no reason this company should have stayed in business. Well, I mean, as we'll see going forward, that uh, it only gets worse into '92. Like some of the under Bill Watts, some of the some of the um, shows are shocking. Um, and this is when uh, Sting is like, this is when like Sting Vader's on top and stuff. It's like really, I mean, as a box office, that that period is just awful. Well, you know? wait, hold on. From it doesn't go from Jim Hurd right to Bill Watts. It goes Jim Hurd to Kip Fry to Bill Watts. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, so yeah, but Kip Fry's basically gone by, uh, by like March. Uh, you know, yeah, he, he wasn't March the top of the business. You know, he he was too good of a. But he he did give us the best, some of the best pay per views ever, as we as we'll see. <laughs> yeah, uh, no doubt. Um, so basically, for the rest of this observer, Mark Madden has a piece in there, entitled "The End of Ric Flair." I mean, I, w- I won't get into all of this, but there are there are many more readers' pages than usual. Let's just say they are all really 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 pissed off that flair is gone dusty gets a lot of flack jim Hurd gets a lot of fl- i mean it, seriously i it's it's um unusual to see that many like uh guys writing into Meltzer. absolutely uh you know and well, I think, well that, like, that would that would be like if uh new japan fired tanahashi could you imagine all those euros just being pissed off now how <laughs> yeah. dare new japan fire tanahashi he's well, as good well, as rick flair ever was or a couple, or a couple of months ago, imagine if they'd uh, fired Daniel Bryan. <laughs> imagine they fired Daniel Bryan like around the time of Royal Rumble oh, or something. That would have been awesome. <laughs> so, um, d- d- July the twenty second, and, and a holy shit, uh, th- they've got the verdict in for Great American Bash ninety one. Thumbs up, zero votes, zero <laughs> votes. Thumbs down, two hundred and thirty nine votes. In the middle, two votes. So that's ninety nine point two percent thumbs down. And Meltzer says, until listening to the messages during the day, I would have never believed it was statistically possible for so many people to hate a wrestling show as much as this. So, so that's the context we have uh, getting into this show. <laughs> why don't we get into the uh, Why don't we get into the review? Sunday night, July fourteenth at seven p.m. Eastern time, only on pay per view. The Great American Bash. There's only one way to see the legend versus the legacy, Ric Flair versus Lex Luger in a steel cage, is by picking up your telephone and telling your local cable operator, I want the Great American Bash. All right, now, before we get into uh, Great American Bash 91, I do want to say, question for the listeners this week. If you were Jim Hurd in 1991, would you have fired Ric Flair? And I know this is a difficult question, and could try to you know entertain all the different variables. Would you have fired him? And I I I, I think I know what your answer is going to be. But will would you have fired him? I you, you know what? Initially, I said yes until I realized he had another six months. You know what I mean? Mm. I didn't realize like or another year on his contract. I I thought that like it was a contract negotiation that went bad. And then they just kind of like sent him home when he refused to do the job. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <clears throat> you know, like when Bret Hart um, still had like another month on his contract and then they double crossed him. I thought that it was kind of the same with Flair, except they never let him get to the arena. I didn't know he had an entire year. So part of me is saying, hey, you signed the contract. You are, you owe this man another year at 700000 You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not his fault 
that that you, the employer, signed that contract. So I didn't know that part. In terms of not putting Luger over at the pay-per-view, Ric Flair has done so much stupid shit in this business. Like, embarrassingly bad stuff. Chad, would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, well, certainly more after the time frame we're talking about, but, but, but even, even before. before this. Even before. Before, this. Yeah. even before this. No, I mean, he's done a lot of stupid shit. Would it really break your back? I mean, actually, it might, because Lex Luger's torture rack is so devastating. Can, 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 but can, would it really break his back to just put Luger over on yeah. one fucking show? Can, can I ask about this, though? Because this, this aspect of the story, I, I don't know whether it's because Meltzer is biased or because Meltzer is really presenting things from, from Flair's point of view, but this story about Flair not putting Luger over doesn't seem to be part of the of the way it's being reported i.e. it's not the sticking point of the of the contract it's not, like they're worried because i thought that was in the death of wcw i thought that was in yeah i know this yeah, is that a, wasn't a scott key thing is it no, th- this is a story that people talk about that, that flair wouldn't maybe luger himself has said that flair wouldn't put him over um but like i don't like it hasn't come out with him does uh, keller have anything on this uh chad that he wouldn't put luger well, yeah over? he talks about i mean the kellers it's 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 torch 129 and 130 and keller does two editorials and i mean i he talks a little bit about like the thought of luger being put over and being made the guy he doesn't really flat out say that flair's refusing yeah. But I think we really get a sense of where the reputation uh, that's not so great about Lex kind of generated from because he just absolutely does a whole editorial talking about how Flair leaving will not be successful and how Luger won't be able to carry the load. And then in Torch 130, he actually talks about how Barry Wyndham is the only person to be the uh, predecessor to Flair. So, so he has, he's clearly in the camp that Luger should not be made the man. And I think Meltzer was too. So even if this wasn't, a huge kind of point with flair it, it may have been like number seven or number eight on his bullet point reason of being just completely irritated with what was going on with wcw i think that the fact that keller and Meltzer both magnified it so much and kind of skewered luger uh throughout it even though he was i mean honestly an innocent bystander and all and, and, and well i mean Luger, I know, has been known to be an asshole, but like those guys have never respected Luger as a worker. The, the way the way it's reported though is that they were worried that Flair was going to no show. Either he was going to no show the bash, or he was going to no show the uh, the making. Because they actually booked two matches: the one with Luger at the bash, and the one with Wyndham at the um, at the making show in Georgia a couple of days later. And they were worried that he was going to no show them. So here I was like, right, you're fired now, type thing. Well, but to me, if they, if they, I mean, it's tough. It's it's tough for Musk in a hardcore fan perspective. I mean, I think there's two perspectives. There's the business side and the hardcore side. But if if they would have said, you know, if they kind of play this game of chicken and dare Flair to no show, and let's say hypothetically he does no show the Great American Bash here, I can't 
fathom or see any justifiable way people like Meltzer and Keller could have defended that action, no matter how frustrated he was. He's a he's a contracted employee. It's his duty to show up and do his job. So I'd, that at least would have really put the ball in Flair's court where he can either, you know, do what I would consider the right thing and put an over Luger or he can kind of show his true colors. So there's mm. that situation. Yeah, exactly. But it's I, like the, the thing is, is that it doesn't seem like as a case of Flair saying, no, I won't lay, lay down for you, these two guys. He just wanted to, he just wanted to get paid his due. And then, uh, he, and I agree with that. He wanted Wyndham. He want yeah. He he specifically he prefer he would have preferred to drop the title to Wyndham because that's his right. buddy, right? But um, you know, it it he, I don't think it doesn't come out that he flat out refused to do the job for Luger. And I think if they'd given him if they'd have given him his contract, I'm sure he would have, uh, you know, laid down. He he done it what ten times already, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So it, it, like, it, I I don't know. I don't think you can say Ric Flair's a guy who's someone who's like refused to do jobs, you know. Like of all of all that, like it's not it's not like we're dealing with Bruiser Brody or Ultimate Warrior or something here. Right, right. Yeah. Um. Anyway, okay. So so you wouldn't you would have fired him well or you wouldn't have. What's your answer? <laughs> I would have let him fired him. I would have. Uh, no, I would not have fired him um, if he had another year on his contract. However, the booking thing is an issue. You know what I mean? Like, mm. if he didn't, if he would have no showed the show, then I would have fired him. And uh, Chad, what do you think? Yeah, it's 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 tough because this story has a lot of elements to me. Um, if I if I'm built, if I'm Heard and if I am Jim Hurd in my mind, I can see why he did fire him. Um, I wouldn't personally, but it, and you know, would you really part, want to be Jim Hurd in your mind? Well, you know, <laughs> I'm just asking, <laughs> just, just see what happens where you think the ding dongs is a great idea, but uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, it you know, it parallels the not a great idea, a revolutionary one, revolutionary idea. <laughs> I mean, the Montreal screw job. There's a lot of parallels between this and what happens, and and in that situation and in this one, I don't think there's one person that's completely right and one person that's completely wrong. I think both sides carry the blame. So. Okay, well, I'd, I'd love to know your reasons, uh, listeners. If you want to comment at PWO or on the, uh, do we have a Twitter, Chad? Tell Chad on Twitter. <laughs> do we have a Twitter? <laughs> tell chad on twitter or on the on the facebook group or whatever um because i think it's one of the more interesting things that we'll come across from my personal point of view i wouldn't have fired him uh context is everything wf are having the steroid scandal um under normal circumstances maybe you think oh well vince probably wouldn't have a lot to do with him but in the in the environment where the steroids thing is going down and the wf need legitimacy Mm, Rick Flair's available now. You know, well, we know we we have the benefit of hindsight, but surely, when you know that the WF are going to be toning down and the muscled up, jacked up dudes going forward, he's your top man. You don't want to lose him to Vince. So I think that alone has got to be worth something to the company, um, regardless of the box office. Like they can make cuts elsewhere. You know, um, I I'd say maybe fire Sting. 
honestly. Like uh, I, I'd have, I'd have kept Flair and I'd have got rid of Sting in uh, '91, based on based on the box office and based on what each guy was worth to the. Or, or to the at company. least, at least you know, restructure his contract. Yeah. Something along those lines. So, okay, uh, that's a really. Uh, I think we've uh, covered that in some uh, detail. Um, so th- let's move on to the show then. Uh, what was the date of this one? Um, I think we're d- July the fifteenth. Is it? Fourteenth, uh, I think. Fourteenth. Um, and uh, the cameras. Um, and we we all watch this on DVD. <laughs> Because uh, you know, <laughs> Will, being a considerate chap he is, uh, decided to sell, send me and Chad DVD copy of this. Well, sure. now, now hold on though. <laughs> Let me put this in context, Marv, because this was pre-network, mm-hmm. and there were not a lot of very uh, good copies of this show going around in full from the pay-per-view. You know, th- this was a show that they they chopped up on the Turner home yeah. video version. Right. And so I had a, a really good copy from somebody who actually taped it back in 1991 and preserved it pretty well. And that's why. So now you can see the, the exact same show on the network, but I, I did have to point that out. Yeah, but it, it, very grateful though. Um, and uh, I mean, as me and Chad have seen, uh, like there is a world of difference between the Turner edits, like, and the full shows. It makes a massive difference to a show like uh, Super Brawl One, which before I like before uh, when we saw Super Brawl One, uh, I thought that was one of the better shows that WCW ever had ever done. And then I saw the <laughs> then I saw the then I saw the whole thing with the Oz uh, with the Oz debut and stuff, and it's like Christ. Oh, we're go- well, we're going to talk about Oz. Don't oh we yeah, Oz. we'll talk about Oz. Um, anyway, in a revolutionary moment, the cameras take us through the turnstiles. Um, for this extravaganza and we get to like it's a really cheesy uh, little video <laughs> where they take us through the um through the arena you know and we go well you thought it was cheesy once again i thought it was groundbreaking that <laughs> the camera acts as a fan walking into the arena through the uh concessions and down the stairs into the arena i liked it was that um was that dennis stamp tearing the tickets did you say that guy he looks just like dennis <laughs> dude that's every southerner or, or wait where are they where that where's the show they're baltimore, baltimore so hey, hey that's still that's still south i don't we, care we can ask child that that's, that's south uh... i don't care what the, what he tries to say that that was a slave owning state okay uh, that, that's i don't know if we'd claim baltimore in the south okay anyway <laughs> What, so the North and the South fight over who gets Baltimore? Like, neither neither one wants them? Yeah, I think, I think we'll defer Baltimore. <laughs> the Wire didn't exactly scream South, Southern USA to me. Commentators are Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone. Um, and our first match is a scaffold match. It's Bobby Eaton and PN News versus Steve Austin and uh, the computerized man terry taylor a uh, couple of little couple of little is things he terry taylor or is he terrence taylor terrence He's terrence, terrence taylor yeah terrence taylor um I, I had two little things going into this before we, we get into the match itself first of all who, who's miss blossom I don't, I don't remember her at all dude that's uh chris adams former wife isn't it 
Yeah, it is. And by this time, she was dating Austin in real life. It's Jeannie, Jeannie Adams. How long does she stick around? Because I, I don't remember Lady Blossom being she, part she of She sticks around until he pretty much becomes a full-fledged Dangerous Alliance member. So not, not too long. But she was a, a big proponent in the Chris Adams versus Steve Austin feud of 1990 in USWA. Okay, so so the second question I have about this match is, uh, who books PN News in a fucking scaffold match? Come on, come on, hold on, hold on. Do not make me the PN News defender here, okay? Because you're going to be. Well, I mean, here's here's the problem. It's not that he was in a scaffold match. Okay, it's the fact that they didn't plan the spots out properly. Okay. <laughs> I am fully aware that they could have done a couple of things here. He could have simply jumped up and down on the board and everybody else could have like shook like an earthquake was happening and they could have fallen off the scaffold and he could have won that way. That would have been a cool booking. Just the the motion from his jumping up and down on the scaffold was like an earthquake that just made everyone fall off. Are y'all with me so far? Yeah. Okay. The other thing is that they could have like had Bobby Eaton like kick his leg. Oh wait, Bobby Eaton's his partner. Okay, let's rephrase that. They could have had Steve Austin kick his leg and then have him fall on the scaffold to where like his legs are dangling over on one side and his head's dangling the other way. And that would have been a cool tent spot because there are good scaffold matches in history. Okay. Uh, Bobby, uh, no, Bill Dundee and Coco Beware had a great one in Memphis. Yeah. You remember that one? Sorry. Yeah, keep... that was good. I still haven't you know, seen him. There's a, 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 an awesome one from Puerto Rico between Invader I want to say Invader 3 and Chicky Star, yeah, which is so tense and so bloody and so nasty that there are parts where it looks like they're going to fall off the scaffold where your stomach gets queasy. So I don't even blame them for putting PN News on there. It's just that they didn't do the spots that accent his strengths. Which are? Well, his rapping ability. <laughs> All right, come on. You, you are you are a, a connoisseur of the great hip hop uh, abilities of PN News. You, you know, you know, he had the funky fresh flow, okay. Mm. And then uh, they have that. They have his size. Like there should have been no reason unless that fat ass was waddling down on the ground, you know, or on the on like where he was like laying on the scaffold itself to where they could actually like jump over him or jump on his back and then hop over him that they should have been able to get to the other side. Am I right about that? They should not have been able to get to their side with his girth blocking them from getting to the other side. I I think the best thing he could have done in this match is uh, fallen from the scaffold and basically just died in the middle of the ring. no, but but let's say that because of his huge blubberness that he lands there, you could have had a couple of other guys fall, bounce off of PN News, nobody gets hurt. Oh, God. Um, Joe, no, seriously, you... wouldn't he be like the world's greatest um, air mattress? Oh, God. Except it's full. Of, it's like a big waterbed full of blubber. Uh, at one point in this match, 
um, JR claims that PN News would make a very good goalie. Like, uh, yes. like that's what I was saying, man. I'm, me and JR are on the same uh, page. He he wouldn't. I'll just I'll just say that he 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 absolutely would. Absolutely News is not going to be making a World Cup run in uh, 2018. <laughs> he, no. They were talking about soccer. He was talking about uh, they hockey. were they were talking about football. No hockey. I think it was hockey. They're talking about hockey goalies, man. See that that's your. I don't know about that either. I I, I think Shivani says football. What what did you make of this atrocity, champ? Well, um, as you know, I've watched a a lot of uh, 1991 footage, and I've watched a total of 275 matches for that year based on all the footage I watched. And uh, I had this match ranked as number 275 out of number 275. <laughs> what? I absolutely despise this match. I put the stretcher match with Gigante and Sid uh, above this. I, I, I mean, PN News at one point just, I think Brad said it in our chat today, but he absolutely looks like he has sex with Terrence Taylor. He's just <laughs> he's just laying on top of him. I mean, yeah, well, look at it. Look at this way. Think about the great strategy with the hairspray. Uh, you blind a man twenty feet up in the air. I mean, could you imagine that if he's bl- if he's blind, not being able to see and the falling off the scaffold? Man, that's a huge tension device, man. I love it. Definitely played that up. Uh, at- this this is just an atrocity. I mean, there's there's nothing that happens like uh, it. I, yeah, I, you know what? I mean, in all honesty, I think going three and a half negative stars, as Steve Austin will tell you on his podcast, it's a little extreme. Uh, I, I would go negative two stars for this. Well, that's Melter's rating, of course, three and a half negative stars. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I would only go two negative stars. Keller's positive stars for this one. A fourth of a star. I don't know if he goes negative. Well, I think not. that's because of the great strategy involving the hairspray. I, I have to say, is that like the whole point? I mean, I, I don't really like scaffold matches. Um, I have I haven't seen those ones that you reference well, which are always the ones people trot out when they you know try to defend the scab. I think it's a stupid match anyway. Yeah, um, those those I would say are more the exceptions to the rule. Uh, I, hold, I th- hold on, yeah, I've, I've we didn't, we seen. Didn't like the sky. I've only seen the Skywalker matches, okay? Like, I know they had one on the Starcade 86 show, right. which actually sold the show. And then later on in the year, did y'all do a review of um, uh, the Superstars on the Superstation? Yes. Yeah, we did do that one, yeah. And so they had that one, the, the follow-up. Then they had one the next year with the Rock and Roll instead of the Road Warriors, right? Right, yep. Then the Rock and Roll and the Midnights had a few in Mid-South, which were pretty good. And then the two I mentioned. So I, I don't know about a lot of scaffold matches anyway. You know, yeah, and I think Cactus Jack was involved in one in World Class or something. I think the whole point of the match, I mean, I, I, I think it's a stupid match because not a lot can happen up there anyway. But the whole point of it, you build the whole thing to the point where inevitably somebody takes the oh my god, holy shit bump from the from there usually somebody takes that fall. this match they did away with that by having the flags there so the entire point of the match like <laughs> h- how anticlimactic is it when i don't think anybody because the... news is so fat <laughs> well, that when... that that i think their mentality was maybe the fat ass will slip on a banana and he really will fall 
<laughs> and holy shit, people will get their money's worth. Nobody in the crowd knew that uh, when Eaton grabs the flag, nobody knows. I don't think Ross knows. I don't think the crowd knows. I didn't know. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's such a... It's, it's so bad. There's like no pop when uh, Eaton grabs the flag. It just... I mean, the match just fizzles. Well, the problem was it wasn't an American flag. We're too generic, like red flag. Yeah, That's part of it too. Yeah, that that was the part. That was the problem. I, I would have preferred. I would have been interested to see what Eaton and uh, Austin and Taylor could have done with PN News as the hot tag. I think that would have been a much better match. I um, think that might have gone to negative one star. So good football. <laughs> um. So no. Uh. And I wonder. I do want to discuss this. Uh, Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone mentioned that Flair is no longer champion. Um. Shivani says that uh, Flair turned down um, another offer, and uh, basically he's been stripped of the title. They can't like they can't hide it. They they mention the contractual obligations on air. Now I have to question this, like the way this is presented. Is it a good idea to tell the truth here? I mean, because I think it's stupid. Person, like why why bring why wash your dirty linen in public? Like why can't they? come up with an angle or something to explain it you know rick flair's been stripped of the title because he hasn't defended it for 30 days or he's injured or you know it's come up with something so that you don't admit that basically you've screwed up a contract negotiation and we've lost him do you agree will yes and no but i'm serious here yes there were wrestling ways that you could have dealt with it but at the same time, if they're being honest, they're being honest. Because I think their fear probably was that Ric Flair, if they would have lied to the crowd, oh, Ric Flair was, was jumped in Charlotte and he's recuperating in the hospital, you know, or some crap. Then Ric Flair says, no, that's that's a lie. That company's full of lies. Then they get a black eye with Ric Flair burying them outside. You know, so at least by doing it this way, it's a he said, uh, she said type thing, you know, where... They can just argue whose side is right. You know? So I, I agree with you that for a wrestling fan, it does no good. But considering you don't know how Ric Flair is going to respond or, or react, I can see why they did it that way. Any thoughts, John? Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with that. And I'm, I feel like if people wanted to know, most people knew that Flair was no longer there especially after the uh, herd announcement that I talked about before on WCW Saturday night. So uh, it did feel a little disingenuous the way they present it, but I don't have that big of a problem with them kind of giving the bare bone facts about the situation. I just can't imagine something like this happening on WWF TV. I think Vince would have found a way around it. I don't know how he would have done it, but well, I, I, I mean, like when when Savage suddenly leaves, I mean he kind of does the same thing in '94. They, they give mean, him a, they give him a send off though, right? Well, I mean he just starts raw and says because they couldn't come to an agreement, Savage is no longer the host of uh, Monday Night Raw, and then they start it up. So it's it's essentially about the same thing. It seems like they were fighting over contracts. Yeah, I agree. All right, so uh, Eric Bischoff now uh, is the interview guy. Uh, Soli's gone by this point, right, Chad? Uh, Yeah, I think he's been put to pasture, so. Um, And he's with uh, Paulie Dangerously and Arn. 
um, uh, Arn says he's in a, a decent promo says uh, he's gonna give Rick Steiner aggravated assault uh, any thoughts on this promo anyone no uh, no <laughs> well, I did like Orange saying he'd make a real woman out of Missy if uh, she stuck her nose <laughs> <in his business. laughs> um, Ross and Tony mentioned that Luger and Wyndham uh, were tag champs which I thought was a nice touch um, in a moment where they were blatantly filling time when the sca- while the scaffold was being dismantled so it's like right let's just uh, talk for as long as we can um i actually want to say at this point that i think uh jim ross and tony shivani do a really good job on the show in general um under really difficult circumstances um so uh, and this is one of the first looks at it like uh tony gives us the history he talks about luger and windham in 1987 you know that they do a pretty as good a job as they could do in building this match over the course of the show um would you agree with that yeah, this is one of my uh, unheralded favorite announce booth teams that I've kind of pushed on previous episodes. I, I really like this duo, especially in the Halloween Havoc. I thought they do a good job. I think Tony is pretty good at being the color guy and putting over a narrative of a match, and then Jim Ark and I mean Jay Ark and kind of filibuster in with kind of the meat and potatoes of what the storyline was. So I like this tandem. Yeah, I, I have the same note. I think Tony is a really underrated color man. You know, he's, uh, as a color, color analyst, uh, he's really good in that role. Uh, yeah. Arguably better than he is at play-by-play. A- any views, Will, or did you watch this with the sound down? No, I watched it with the sound down, <laughs> but I usually don't pay, I, don't, I usually don't pay attention to those guys, man. Like, I've heard their voice, I mean, you gotta remember, man, I've been listening to Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone, since 1985 86 i mean almost 30 years i've been listening to those two voices you know so it it gets to the point where i'm just like i'm done i don't care what they have to say (laughs) you know the 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 illusion of them being great uh guys or great great uh, broadcasters i'm done with that thought i'm just it's kind of like listening to sweet child of mine you know, I'm just, I'm done with it, man. I've been listening to it since 1987. You know, it's, it's just, it's, it's too much. So you're all about Michael Cole now or something? No, because I hate that guy. But <laughs> the, the point being is, I, I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying like, uh, like you hear their voices so much. You know what I mean? I mean, like I said, I, I was listening to Jim Ross. Did I, did I ever tell you all the story of Jim Ross giving me the evil eye, the stink eye? when I tried to take a picture of the UWF title belt back in 1987. <laughs> I haven't heard that one, I don't think. All right. The same show where I picked up the uh, Ted DiBiase's uh, pool of blood with uh, some napkins. Right. Okay. Yeah. The same show, January 1987. The, the UWF title belt is right there on the table. It's like five feet away from me. And I got my camera and I'm all excited. This This was the first live wrestling show I had ever been to. And so I have my camera, I'm taking pictures, I'm all excited, you know, and uh, Jim Ross just gives me the evilest look. I was like, you know, like, imagine like I haven't hit puberty yet, I don't have the radio voice, and I'm kind of like, can I take a picture of the belt, sir? You know, that kind of (laughs) high-pitched Mickey Mouse level pre-puberty voice. And uh, Jim Ross just says, hurry up, like that. (laughs) 
okay, man, <laughs> I'll take a picture. You know, and then when you get, you know, back then you had to develop a film. You get it back, and it's all out of focus. It's all blurry, and I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't even get a good picture of the belt. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, uh, oh, but, but, well, I, 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 I have to say, I mean, I've been listening to Jesse Ventura on commentary since I was a little kid, and I never get tired of him, ever. So, you know, I, I don't but, know. But, but there are breaks, though. You know what I mean? I guess, there I guess. Breaks. With, with Jim Ross, um, ever since, uh, you know, I've started collecting footage and, and trying to get as much old footage as possible with t- Tony Schiavone and, and Jim Ross, there's no break, you know, they're just always there, you know, in some form or fashion. <laughs> you make it sound like marriage. <laughs> yeah. It's like, kind of like marriage. <laughs> uh, n- next match then is diamond stud taking oh, on a great uh... because at some point you just tune them out. Yeah. All right. You know? Well, well, it's uh, maybe somebody will do that to us one day, Chad. Like you know, after this. I've, been... I've, I've already done it the past five minutes. Why are you hammering on? What the fuck <laughs> are you talking about? That that was a serious discussion, Chad. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Diamond Stud taking on the Z-Man, who's still hanging around. Um, now they they did obviously uh, you know, Diamond Stud is with uh, Good God DDP at this point, and uh, um, they bring they do this thing where they bring a woman in from the crowd uh first of all I, I mean i don't buy that the woman is a woman from the crowd like she's obviously like a hired model or something um and uh Obvious. i have to i have to say that ddp is probably the least over person in the history of wrestling like he has so little heat for this segment um it's like really bad this uh this thing that happens here like the crowd couldn't give less of a shit about this and then to make matters worse the z-man comes in and he says directly into the camera i'm coming for you stud i'm coming for you with the least amount of charisma i've ever seen so not, okay, not... Okay. You're, you're focusing on the wrong things sorry to interrupt you okay, okay. you did not even mention the four hoochies that z-man was escorted to the ring by oh yeah yeah and and how that one of those girls was five foot two, five foot eight with her hair. Holy shit! <laughs> See the elevation on that girl's hair. Uh, do they still have Aquanet hairspray, Chad? Because yeah, yeah, these were she was nineties looking women. Yeah, this was a walk-in uh, commercial for Aquanet hairspray. Holy shit! Yeah, I, I have a little theory about that actually because um, it, you'll notice that the studettes or whatever they were called didn't you know the, the diamond dolls they didn't come out with DDP and uh, diamond stud here and uh, Z-Man got the girls instead so I reckon it was just the diamond dolls in different gear. No, no, no. Do, it they wasn't wouldn't... the same girls every show. <laughs> no, they were just they were just different girls every time, right? Diamond yeah, so, so now Z-Man, I mean, Z-Man's already been declared the sexiest uh, sexiest wrestler in WCW, um, so there you have it. Hey, also, did you guys, uh, before we go on, Parv, are you going to mention DDP's attire? Oh my god, that was a good god right there. <laughs> this is the greatest outfit in the history <laughs> of, oh, I mean, one, he's Great American Bash themed, Okay. His jacket is a uh, is an American flag, uh, you know, uh, jacket. Okay, he's got his classic um, diamond studded uh, sunglasses on. 
but holy shit, his pants. Okay. They have a stitched American flag on one side, rhinestones all up and down the other side with, these are jeans, by the way, with the white fringes, like imagine Kevin Nash's uh, wrestling uh, uh, pants, except instead of like red fringes on the side, like white fringes on the side. Remember, these are jeans with an American flag stitched in them and a DDP fanny pack with DDP and diamonds on the fanny pack with his white cowboy boots. This is a fashion uh, staple right here. I know yeah. in 1991, I could only wish that I had the money DDP had to sport this outfit. And, and, the, to- and the time to put it all together. I, oh, dude. I mean, this is a guy who cares about his craft. Yeah. And, I mean, I, this, and is this is what this, and this is why I feel so sorry. Like he clearly is putting so much effort in, and nobody gives a sh- like they couldn't <laughs> give less of a shit about anything he does. And he's been trying so hard. Like I've never seen somebody try so hard and get uh, such, so little back. You know. <laughs> I, I couldn't figure out what his T-shirt was. I almost <laughs> want to say it was a Howard the Duck T-shirt. Okay, <laughs> but I can't be sure. But. It wasn't like he usually like I know in Florida, he would have like a Guns N' Roses T-shirt on or like a winger or poison shirt or something. I cannot tell what what his T-shirt is. It's covered up by his jacket. But you're right. I mean, that you got to give DDP props. You're saying the always I went over. He is really putting a lot of effort into his character here. What do you make of this one, Chad? Uh, well, this was this was not very good. It, it's a pretty nothing match. Um, uh, we did. I did notice we got a good cameo of Bill after walking around ringside taking pictures. Yeah. So that was a nice uh, antidote moment. Uh, pretty back and forth stuff. Stud. I didn't think he did a whole lot. He hits a decent choke slam. But he's he's not very focused in this match. Uh, Z Man comes back with a terrible looking karate kick and then he rammed stud into the rail and uh, ring apron and he sent him over the guardrail which was kind of a revenge spot from earlier in the match where z-man went over the uh, ring apron and then and then uh z-man gets a missile drop kick and he goes to cover page and then uh i mean he goes to cover stud and ddp blatantly slaps z-man in the face so how was that not a dq to make matters worse page gets in the ring z-man gives him a kick and the selling of this kick is one of the worst sell jobs i've ever seen in professional wrestling where ddp looks like he got electrocuted on the ropes (laughs) and goes into what i can only call a spasm and and that's still not a dq uh throughout all of this nonsense so stud hits a backdrop because uh zinc was distracted dealing with page and he gets a, a backdrop with a bridge for the pin so I, I mean i went a star and a half i i mean it wasn't very good at all melter went a star and three quarters uh will well i thought it was okay you know i, I didn't think this was any great shakes um I'm still cut up on the outfits. I'm sorry. I, I apologize for that. Because, I mean, did you see Diamond Stud's outfit? Like, I'm sure y'all have commented on before, right? Like, it's a half a pair of overalls. I mean, that's <laughs> rocking the, the, the rhinestones, you know? Not as good as DDP's outfit. 
But I, I had a laugh when uh, <laughs> Chad made fun of uh, Tom Zink's uh, super kick. I, I, I compared it uh, like he was doing a, sh- a ballet stretch. <laughs> you know? so bad. It was horrible, you know. And uh, Stud's offense was was really nothing to uh, write home about. And uh, you know, I, I just you know I had to find something entertaining about this. I mean, we're not off to a good start, you know, uh, with with these two matches. So uh, it, it was rough. Uh, I, I thought it was not terrible, but um, I, it, I, I... That's I, exactly I, what I put. Not great, but not terrible. Not not awful. I don't, I'm not going to rate Tom Zeng matches anymore, though, I've decided. Yeah, my... Uh, <laughs> my, my exact note was not awful, but sure as fuck not good. I mean, that's, that's yeah. kind of where you're at, so... Absolutely, yeah. So Jim, Jim Ross now mentions that we haven't seen Oz for the past few weeks. In fact, mm-hmm. we haven't seen him since The Clash. Um, which uh, makes me wonder, what the fuck were they doing in the first place? <laughs> Did he have the midget at The Clash? <laughs> he, he did yeah. have the wizard, uh-huh. yeah. Is that why he had the monkey? <laughs> was the, yeah, I think the monkey was the clash, because uh, Super Brawl's with the scare, all the Wizard of Oz characters. I think the monkey was the new wrinkle at the clash, that, yeah. I mean, that that is the worst shit I've ever seen in wrestling, I think. The, like, hey, the, hey, hey, hold on, hold on. <laughs> think about what you just said. This is the worst she, shit, shite, yep. I have ever seen. It is. And this is what oh. I wrote. The Oz entrance may be the greatest thing to ever happen. To us. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Well, I mean, it, 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 they went to all that expense, all yep. of that expense for what? For, like for this? Yeah. <laughs> Just to but not it, have him on TV for weeks on. and weeks and weeks. <laughs> Castle backdrop. So we're getting into some Harry Potter level shit here. Even though Harry, this was probably the inspiration for Harry Potter, that castle backdrop. Green pyro. I mean, come on, dude. They colored the pyro. Holy shit. Smoke. Because, you know, of all that smoke that happened uh, in The Wizard of Oz. A little midget. His wizard cape and that old man mask to show that Kevin Nash wears mini masks. This is classic shit. If you want to talk about cutting costs, I can think of one place to start right here. Like, don't give Oz the fucking entrance, you know? I was going to say, you can give Flair's $350,000 back if you just cut the Oz crap. How much do you think it costs to hire the monkey a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, you know? I'm going to say a banana and a couple of uh, gummy bears. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is a Oz versus Ron Simmons. Um, as Will mentioned, we've got the castle again. Um... Right, so interesting that Ross is talking about Simmons as a potential future world champion even at this point. Um, and uh, Will, I'll let you go first on this. All right. Well, here, here, here's the stuff. Early on, you know, they're do, kind of doing like a headlock thing, right? Yeah. That wasn't horrible. I mean, it was no great shakes, but it, it wasn't horrible. Then there's a point where Simmons does a drop toe hold on Kevin Nash, right? On, on Oz. Yep. And Nash starts limping from the drop toe hold. That is fucking dedication to your craft, sir. That <laughs> I mean that 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 boosted it like an entire eighth of a star for me. Okay? <laughs> and then and, and just, just this is how out of touch people are. Only one fan 
was chanting boring. You could hear the one fan. It was loud. And so with that one loud fan, it goes to show that the other 18,000 people that did not join in did not think this was boring. Or they were asleep, one or the other. And Nash takes a huge bump uh, after a clothesline from Simmons that sends him flying to the railing. Okay? So, I mean, come on. And... Nash loses. He did a clean job in the middle of the ring to Ron Simmons. Chad? Uh, well, I, this was bad. I, I didn't think this was good at all. That, that drop to hold was so terrible where uh, he barely, he barely, like, I, I don't know what Nash was even thinking on that because like Will says, like, he doesn't go down to the mat like a drop to hold. He legit just kind of it's it's like he tripped and then he starts selling his leg. Well, well was, it, it was more like if you pretended that he was Van Hammer and he had a guitar in his hand, he was going down on his knees for the guitar solo. It did look like that. Am yes. I right? That's what it was like. <laughs> so so Oz's offense pretty much consists of like raking the eyes, uh, no focus, punches and rakes. The test of strength that they did in the middle of this was so bad. I, I don't know how this match only lasted like seven or eight minutes, and it felt a lot longer to that than that. They were, they Wizard for the eight minute epic. As well. I guess. I guess Wizard kicks Simmons on the outside. A pretty bad backdrop from uh, a pretty bad drop kick from Ron. Actually, Wizard gets dagged, and then uh, Simmons gives the shoulder block to Oz. So already the bloom is off the rose with him. I- I'm thinking it's this match that made Bill Watts say Ron Simmons needs to to carry the world title. Be the world title. This was and this was the match that that Vince McMahon says, man, we really need to get that guy in here, right. you know, and become so- a world champion. So, so I don't do negative star ratings, and I did rank the opener a dud, which is as low as I go. Uh, this this got a half a star for me. I thought, I thought this was, on any other show, this would be the uh, worst match of the night. More so, than so, so you added the eighth of a star for the uh, drop I did. I did, like, oh, well, no, I, I would say the clothesline <laughs> bump to the outside got the half a star for me. No, I'm talking about the eighth of a star for him selling the drop to hold. I don't know about that. <laughs> so, so let me get this, Chad. You, you you don't give negative ratings, but you will give an eighth of a star. <laughs> How about a fourth of a star for the drop to hold and a fourth of the star for the uh, clothesline bump to get the uh, half star rating? Oh Christ! Um, yeah, no. I no. What my one note about this match is that uh, this is an example of where Tony Schiavone is actually pretty good on commentary. Because he starts talking about uh, strategy. He starts talking about leg strength and squats. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, yes. you know, he, he's like, yeah, we, we always talk, think about upper body strength in wrestling because we can see it. But you think about the squats that these guys can do. It's quite interesting, you know. Um, I don't know if it feeds into Oz's character. I don't know if we're meant to be thinking about Oz doing squats <laughs> um, or doing bench presses. But, uh, you know, um, but my other point is about the booking. Which I have to question, like, what's the point? Like, obviously somebody realized that the Oz idea was a bad idea. But, like, once you've gone that far, surely you can't just kill it dead like this. Like, It's not killing it dead. It's two future main eventers going (laughs) toe-to-toe. 
it's it's very strange to give to spend that much money and that much effort trying to push this trying to push this guy only to have him uh, you know lose to Ron Simmons in eight minutes. This is kind of I mean, like, hey, I, here, here's my theory. My theory is that Ron Simmons was supposed to be Oz, and he threatened to break their legs. <laughs> okay, uh, top ten time. Ten, Johnny B. Bad. Nine, Ron Simmons. Eight, the Diamond Stud. Seven, El Gionte. Six, Arn Anderson. Five, Bobby Eaton. Four, Steve Austin. Oz. Three, Sting. Two, Barry Windham. And one, Lex Luger. The title... Where was the, the Z-Man? The title is vacant. Um, what do you think of that top ten? <laughs> de- de- depth chart, what do you reckon? Oh, shit. That's, that's probably some of the most logical booking we'll see tonight, actually, is the top ten. Uh, I didn't have any... PN News? Was he in there? No. PN News did not make the top What? No. Oh, Christ. Neither did Jason Hervey. So, uh, let's get on to, Let's get on to the next match. It's Robert Gibson taking on his former tag team partner, Richard Morton. Now, now uh, hold on, hold on. So, so far, we're all in agreement, right? Up until this point, this is like the worst WCW show up until this point, right? This is horrible. Yeah, no, for, for... I, I don't agree. I think we've seen worse shit, Chad. I really do. Uh, well, I mean, Clash, <laughs> like, what was it? Clash? Yeah, with... yeah, no, I'm talking pure pay-per-view. Okay, Clash, pure pay-per-view. Clash is free. I would go that. Free shit versus shit you drop money on is totally different. Yeah, no, in terms of pay-per-views, this has been the worst one up until this point until this point yes and now it's the Rock'n'Roll Express uh, taking on each other Uh, obviously Morton is uh, you know with Alexandra York at this point Um, and uh, actually I thought he was looking pretty stacked here for for Morton like this is (laughs) like no I mean he was looking pretty well toned much better shape than Gibson Um, and uh, you know the Gibson's chest hair obscures the ripples in his muscles. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought uh, Tony coming into this match. He references their title win against the Russians in 1985, which I thought was really nice. Um, Ross didn't mention any mid south stuff. I noticed, but uh, I thought they were doing their best to put this over on commentary as like being a uh, you know they they really gave the context and the history and. No, uh, I... And uh, I think it's uh, your turn, Chad, to go first on this one. Yeah, so this is an, an interesting match that, I mean, the, we know the whole show gets shit on, and this match is shit on right along with it, but uh, it's a match I really like. Um, it Actually, when I did my 1991 uh, footage watching, I had this match rank um, in my top 100. It was 1995, I mean, I'm sorry, it was 95, uh, but I went three and a half stars on it, and rewatching it again, I, I feel justified in that ranking. I, I don't, I, I guess the two complaints I see sometimes, one I agree with somewhat, and one I disagree with a lot. One is that these guys were partners for so long, and this should have been a a big brawl or a blood feud or something like that. That's not who the Rock and Roll Express really were. Um, I mean, they, they had some good cage matches and stuff like that, but even their match with the Andersons from Starcade, that's a that's a pretty technically worked cage match where they're still tagging in and out and doing stuff like that. So I don't 
I guess I just don't understand why people thought they would be, you know, blooding each other up and having weapons and brawling around ringside. You do get a brawl at the beginning of this, but it it settles down into what each of them know best, and that's wrestling. Uh, the other complaint that I've heard is that uh, Morton is on top too much in this match and kind of in some ways buries Gibson. And I, I can sort of understand that, but I, I do think you could look at these two guys even as a tag team. You knew who the, the superstar was of the team, so to speak. And especially in the context of 1991 WCW, what they were trying to do with the York Foundation and Richard Morton, I, I have no problems with uh, Morton taking the majority of this match. I thought his work on the leg was very ferocious. He mixed in a lot of stuff. I uh, enjoyed the work he did with the figure four and kind of the finish comes where uh, Alexander York distracts Bill Alfonso, who's the referee in this match, and Morton comes off the top with the, the computer to get the victory. Um, so so I really like this match a lot, and I think it's unfairly judged with the rest of this show. Will? Uh, I agree with a lot of what um, Chad said, and I'm going to um, actually address those points. Um, first off... Ricky Morton is a great brawler in, in the sense that he's a guy who can get his ass kicked, bleed all over the mat, and people are going to feel bad for him, right? But he's a heel. And uh, you might want to see that at the end, but this almost felt like it it needed a rematch. Would you agree with that, Chad? Yeah, I could, I could what, have seen what, that. Like, like, like it kind of needed that. It, it, like, for for the first match, this, this felt great. Um I absolutely love the way this starts with Gibson, who's who rightfully is the pissed off, uh, spurned lover, right? The spurned partner, yeah. yep. just attacking Morton before he even gets to the ring. Fuck you, I'm gonna take it to you. But then Gibson also makes the the great mistake of wearing a freaking knee brace. Okay, <laughs> hey, that you know that that's like a shark to blood right there. So I mean. To me, I, th I thought it was sound. But the first one, uh, that it should have been a wild all-out brawl, sometimes, and, I, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too, sometimes the match we want is not the match we get. Right. But it's almost because we have an imaginary fantasy booking idea in our head of what we want. You know what I mean? Instead of appreciating what is actually given to you, you're like, oh, wow, filet mignon. Well, you know what? I wanted cordon blue chicken. You know? So fuck that filet mignon, you know? So I'm not saying this match was a filet mignon. I'm just saying this is a great, the way they work this match is pretty freaking great by any standard. But because you, your expectations let you down, because like I said, you were expecting one thing. How could you not be excited for this match after the three fucking pieces of dog shit we just sat through? Right. You know? So that's number one. Number two what the fuck was Morton supposed to do? Gibson's wearing a knee brace. Of course he's going to take most of the match. You know what I mean? It also, I think, I thought Robert Gibson was excellent in his selling here. And uh, his comebacks felt huge. You know, like uh, when uh, he did, uh, did that DDT, you know, to counter. Uh, yeah, Morton, that was good. That was a great counter, man. I mean, and then... Later on, you know, I mean, Gibson's selling the hell out of that leg. Um, and then he hits the Enziguri with the good leg after Morton is holding the bad leg. That was a great counter. 
And then the ending I thought was great too because Morton had the plan, attack that leg, dissect it, destroy it. When all else fails, what does a good heel do? They cheat. And that's how he won. And so I have no problem with this match. Um, three and a half sounds right, you know. Um, partially, I guess. And like I said, I hate using the crowd. But the crowd hurts. Because, you know, the crowd was really uh, a downer on this show. And, um, you know, um, I think that the, this match, um, I don't think, you got to remember, a lot of people who actually watch the show also, um, if they watch the Turner Home Video version, this match is not on that, that uh, tape. Mm-hmm. So think about that. One of the best matches on the entire show is not on the freaking tape. You know what I mean? And so yeah. if you actually watch the Turner Home Video version, you're missing one of the best matches of the show. Well, you know? it, it, one, one of the kind of questions, uh, you know, I was talking to Matt D a little bit back and forth about this show, and he was like, well, one of the interesting things to ask is, well, like, how does it develop? How did it develop the rep it does? And I think you have to look back at Dave at Meltzer himself because he gives this match one and a half stars. Yeah, but but you know what? I don't um, take his opinion seriously. For... You no, know, you, well, you, you you might not, but he is very influential, as as we know. Keller all... gives it a star. Uh, Keller gives it a star, and I think I mean we talked about the context going into this whole show, and I I think all the stuff with Flair and the, you know this is the we want Flair show. Naught percent of fans. Uh, who wrote in said that it was a good show etc etc um i think you have to consider the context and in the con in, in the context of all of that this comes off as a one and a half star match because they've already got, got a kind of negative mindset you know you're already in a bad mood so you know that that's why i also don't think context context um or watching in the moment is always the most healthy way to watch wrestling one of my biggest contentions with Meltzer is this idea that watching old footage is not valuable in evaluating guys. You know what I mean? Right. Because while it, it, it's helpful sometimes to be in the moment, and we always use always use this example, right? The CM Punk versus John Cena match at Money in the Bank 2011, right? When you're in that moment and you don't know what the hell Punk's going to do, you don't know if he's staying or going, you don't know who's going to win, you don't know how it's going to turn out, that's great emotional peaks that wrestling can hit. However, when you're at this show and it's negative and you're like, this sucks and this is the dumbest booking ever and fuck them for letting Ric Flair go, then it makes you not appreciate the effort that some guys are doing. So it doesn't always benefit the yeah. match or the person to view it in context. Sometimes you actually have to step out of side of that zone and evaluate it on its merits versus, you know, you're PMSing because your, your fucking uh, favorite wrestler decided uh, not to put Lex Luger over. But I, I do think that is uh, essentially part, at least partly the answer to, uh, to Matt's question there. Like, how does yeah. this show develop the rep it does? It's because people watched it in a funk. People watched it kind of in a bad mood. And then guys looking back later take the ratings that guys like uh, Meltzer and Scott Keith and, and Keller, you know, Keller and Meltzer give it one star, one and a half, one and a half star. The guys later on, they don't want to lose rep. 
when they're when they're reviewing the show so they're only going to give this this particular match for example one star or one and a half star so all of a sudden you have an entire card and there's no you know there's no matches with more than two stars on it you know and and that's how that's how that's how the reputation of the show you know it's kind of like the uh self-generating myth you know no i i get it but at the same time that's why sometimes you need to revisit shit so you get over yourselves yeah, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, if you go into this show saying, oh, this is a rep, it's the worst pay-per-view of all time, then you're predisposed to think that anything out there is going to be terrible. And, I mean, quite frankly, a 17-minute match with a lot of it worked around a body part, which is what this match is, with a lot of the body of the match worked around the leg of Gibson. And great selling. Some, some people don't dig that, no matter what. But, but but at the same time, I'm not going to take their opinion seriously, regardless if they're a trendsetter or not. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, 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 hey, I have no problem with people following Meltzer and Keller and anyone else and not liking this stuff. You know what I mean? That's why I've, I've always said that you have to find guys who have a similar, uh, a similar taste in wrestling as you do, like similar things. So when they recommend things, you know what to be on the lookout for. Well, Chad, I mean, you, you and I have discussed it a million times, you know, Flair Garvin and 87. This, yeah. this is, it's a similar thing. Obviously, this is over the context of a whole show rather than just one match. But it's a similar it's a similar thing, I think, where it's like the backstage stuff and the context all feeds into how these things get get viewed. Um, for the match itself, I mean, I think this is Ricky Morton working as uh, Ole Anderson. I think he's channeling Ole here. And he works it really viciously. Like, yeah. I mean, people say that, that it should be, you know, more of like a, a heated brawl or something. But I mean, the legwork is really heated, really vicious, yep. and yep. It, it seems like he's going to break. And Gibson's it. doing his best, Ricky Morton, which is pretty freaking great. So. Yeah, it, I mean, it seems like he's going to break Gibson's leg, and like the commentators put it over huge. Um, like, you know, Jim Ross is saying, "Stop the match. This is getting too much." You know. So it yes, I I gave it three and a three and three quarters, uh, Chad. So a tiny bit higher than you. Okay. Uh, yeah, good. No, I thought it was my my only criticism of this match is that um, the legwork didn't really play into the finish at all. Um, and I well, hold on, hold on, it does, because like I like I had mentioned earlier, I'm going to defend this. It didn't actually uh, lead to the pin or the decisive finish, but you got to remember. As, as as hard as Morton was working that leg over, Gibson was countering. He hit the DDT, hit the Enziguri. You know what I mean? So Morton's fucking, oh shit, I've been ripping this guy's leg apart, and he still counters my shit. Fuck, where's the computer? Smash him over the head. Pin. That's why I kind of like, I mean, I, I might just be like, uh, I, I might favor less subtlety in a way, but I like matches where uh, I think like uh, Flair versus Jimmy Garvin, for example, where he just punished the leg so much that he can't like the leg just completely gives. No, same I, like thing. That. I like that too. But I'm same thing. Uh, Luger Flair, Great American Bash '88, where the leg. I'd have preferred it where he's just punished that leg so much that, you know. Well, well, um, well can, can I let me let me argue this point too, that since Ricky Morton, now Richard Morton, is trying to establish that heel identity. You know what I mean? He doesn't have the benefit of Ric Flair, who had 10, 12 years of hooking that figure four on and being a heel for so many years. You know what I mean? 
So where he actually has, he's still in the um, stage of trying to turn people against him and trying to establish that hill identity. So one of the one of the tools you would use is is like cheating with the foreign object. So I have no problem with that. Sure. Okay. Um, so now we get a promo with Dustin Rhodes doing his best possible dusty dusty impersonation here um <laughs> in an interview with eric bischoff and the young pistols now i don't actually remember because he drops this pretty soon like he doesn't always try to be dusty dustin but on this show he's trying to be dusty isn't he yeah he's he's i would say he transitions more from this to the natural by uh, even when we get to like halloween havoc where there it's not like they shy away who who sunny is but uh he doesn't have the lisp and other kind of characteristics that make it overtly obvious that he's just trying to impersonate Dusty. Yeah, it was a bit cringy for me. I, I, I literally cringed during this. I was like, oh. right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that doesn't bother me. Um, okay, so uh, the next match now. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Jimmy Garvin. We got a great one, Chad, straight into the camera. <laughs> Um, on the walkout. Yeah. This is my man. The Freebirds and Bad Street uh, taking on uh, Dustin Rhodes and the Young uh, Pistols. Now, I noticed uh, that oh, they only have Dink here. Does this mean DDP's been dropped from the That's entourage? That's what I thought. I, I, think, I think DDP is no more with the birds. I, I knew it was right around this time, so I, I guess he's gone now and focusing on the Diamond Stud. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what it was. I think it was an amicable split. I think it was Michael Hayes saying, "Listen, kid, I know you want to get in this business, but you are killing our heat, man. You need to, <laughs> you, you need to just <laughs> uh, come on. It wasn't the fanny pack, all right. Don't blame it on the fanny pack." Um, now, speaking of ring gear, Bad Street is absolute. Like he looks like the Freebirds personal gimp here. Like he's got a horrible, like, it's just, just horrible, horrible ring gear. Um, yeah, and Dustin doing an awful lot of Dusty-isms in the, in the actual, like, uh, match as well with the elbows. Anyway, uh, I think, uh, Will, your turn to go first. Well, I am going to say that I enjoyed this match a lot, okay? I thought that there was so, uh, solid uh, stooging and, you know, the shuffling and playing up to the crowd by the birds, you know, which normally you would just say it's just their stick, but they're such old, out-of-date men. That you know when he does the moonwalk in 1991, holy shit! That is designed for a heel. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's still it's still Michael P.S. Hayes. Um, I thought that um, that 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 you know that every time the baby face uh, was getting beat down, it was decent. But what bothered me? Did y'all notice this too? That like the the young pistols like would like perch themselves up on the turnbuckle. Like they're about to leap and like they would stand there for like an hour and then they just get down (laughs) (laughs) or they'd wait and wait and wait and finally do something, you know, but, um, I thought that the match was going great until Garvin locks in a chin lock in a fucking six man (laughs) elimination. tag. Okay. I mean, besides that, that that's really, really like my only complaint. Okay. Because when Hayes comes in, he gives, uh, uh, Tracy Smothers a huge great punch I, I don't care what anyone says Michael Hayes is still 
even as late as 1999, one of the greatest punchers in the business. A great punch. He dodges three Tracy Smothers strikes and nails them with the punch. And um, I, I like the, the fact that um, uh, the, the baby faces went after the Bad Street ma- uh, mask, okay? And that it ended up costing them the elimination when uh, the Freebirds gave him the double DDT, which is a very credible finisher, right? Wouldn't y'all agree? Yep. Okay, good, good. Just make sure we're on. And then, um, oh, I have another complaint. Michael Hayes being eliminated for the over-the-top rule. Have y'all talked on at length about the over-the-top rule on this show? Well, we, we it's come up time. It's come up once I mean, isn't while. that just like the shittiest fucking rule of all time? <laughs> I, I mean, I think if you have the rule, this one was pretty good, though. Yeah, but... Because it was ambiguous. I, I mean, I could... Actually, I could take uh, Hayes' side on it. But Michael Hayes is, like, my favorite guy on the heel team. That was true. I don't think I'd have him, put him. I made that note that so he him was... He eliminated first. That hurt my... He was my the heart. first one over Garvin. I don't know if Garvin could have gotten over the top rope, though, well, so that's the problem. Well, you know, I mean... And so then they take out Smothers with another double DDT... But then some, uh, Jimmy Jam, my main man, runs into a lariat and he's out. Right, so now we're we're down to uh, Brad Street, Bad Street versus Dustin, and uh, th- this didn't last very long with just these two. And I thought the finish was great with uh, Dustin's bulldog and at the same time kicking Daddy Dink out of the ring. <laughs> I thought that was a really great spot. So to me, this this was not as strong of a match as Gibson Morton. Okay, but it was a really fun match overall. I mean, I enjoyed watching this match unfold. And just by virtue of being on this show, combined with Morton Gibson, there's no way this is one of the worst pay-per-views in WCW. Chad? Um, yeah, I mean, I thought I thought it was acceptable. I mean, I, I gave it two and a half. I, uh... I went closer to three, my man. Yeah, it was it was fine. It was the first elimination was very long, and then the uh, the other eliminations were kind of in rapid fire, as Will just described. The chin lock with with Garvin was really bad. I mean that that came <laughs> slap dab in the middle. Of but this. without that chin lock, I would have given this four and a half stars. <laughs> what well, what what's amazing about that chin lock, uh, Charlie? It's vintage Garvin. I've written here. He looks at the camera in the chin lock, and he says, "I quote." I am bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ne- uh, never have true words been spoken by Jimmy Garvin. But, you, but, you, but come on. Besides the chin lock, this, this match was all action, all entertainment. It was good. I thought Hayes looked really good. I mean, his punches looked crisp, and, and he had more heat than anybody else so far. It's because he's P.S. Hayes, motherfucker. I, I have to say, Garvin really ramped up his uh, into-the-camera talk in this match, where he, uh, he t- what did he say? Uh, why is it always us? <laughs> what was he saying doing this? Yeah. It's always us. <laughs> or, and who was, it, who was it, Garvin, or was it Hayes that said he hated them too, the fans or whatever, and... Uh... <laughs> That, that was pretty good too. This this stick in this was pretty good. Uh, I mean, I have no problems with it being on paper. You did have to add, okay, three eighths of a star, just for the fucking kick to Daddy Dink while simultaneously doing a bulldog. Yeah, well, I'm very pro Daddy Dink getting kicked in the head. Uh, uh, but, <laughs> Rest uh, in peace. Sorry. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. No offense. Uh, actually, I, I don't care. I hate. I hate him. Um, <laughs> um, I gave it two stars. Not not terrible, but um. Nah, I think you're like, underrating this. Go back without your blinders on. I uh, to, to be honest though, I'm I'm kind of doubt like the free bits are still hanging around. <laughs> um, I, I think the only mistake was that Michael Hayes was not a singles act. Yeah, he should like, have been the guy to wrestle uh, Lex Luger in the cage. His wow. best stuff was in '89 uh, as a singles guy, and uh, yeah, they kind of sell. He he does feel a bit saddled with this whole deal at the moment. Um, yeah, a big win for Dustin. I think he's clearly getting a push here. Um, I'm yet to really be sold on the Young Pistols. Like they haven't really done a lot for me so far in these matches. So yeah. Two two stars. So I'm a yeah, little this, bit lower on it. It felt like a rehash of the uh, Young Pistols Freebirds. I mean, they feuded a lot. In 19- yeah, true. So. I I'm not really convinced by old Bad Street either. I mean, everybody talks about how great Brad Armstrong is. I, I I'm not feeling it to be honest. You know, so but I'm not going to argue with you on that point. So you know, it, it like yes, it had good shtick, but like I've seen a lot of this shtick a lot because you know on these shows. So, um, what Meltzer go? I'm going Meltzer. to I'm going to give y'all negative two stars. Fuck star, that. Star star and a quarter from Meltzer. Fuck that is stingy. Two and a half yeah. from Keller, so he was right there with me. Next he match just, then. Just like to follow Keller's lead. That's that's what I do. I just that's take do. Keller's yeah. ratings and and stick your commentary on it. Exactly. No analysis. Keller. No in depth uh, <laughs> examination of the match. <laughs> Just born play by play with the slaps Keller star rating on it, you son of a. <laughs> it's uh, it's Yellow Dog taking on Johnny B. Bad. Um, uh, people speculate that uh, the Yellow Dog is Flying Brian, um, but uh, Tony tells us that uh, in fact the Yellow Dog has come right out and said that he's the world's biggest uh, Brian Pillman fan. So um, that's the uh, that's the angle being played here. Um, now, probably the best moment uh, of this match happened right at the start, where Yellow Dog gets right in the camera and says, jo- Johnny B. Gay. Yeah, and this is the moment also where we, uh, it's around this same time where we see uh, Vlad the Superfan, you know, that black guy with, the, with the, gl- the toned guy in the glasses, you know, that fan? Um, we Did saw him in the Vlad Black. Well, he's kind of like he's very tanned then. You very gotta, tanned. You got to remember, Chad. Uh, my man Parv is from the UK, where they only have like twelve black people, and they're all actors. <laughs> they're all actors, and they all. He's not black. No. They all appear but, in the episodes of um, Luther. It's just saying. No, no, hold, hold on, Will. You're the one who said Rick Martel was black. So. <laughs> <laughs> but he's 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 not he's not white, is he? Is he? <laughs> Vladimir, I, I thought he was from like uh, Russia or Germany. I don't know. I don't know. That's a, that's he, our second listener of the question for the listeners. Number black. two is Vlad. Is Vlad black? He's he's UK black. I've met Vlad at a well, WrestleMania well, weekend. He's not black. Well, is he Chad, is he UK black? Like if I was from the Chad, UK. Chad, take a look at Rio. Take a look at Rio Ferdinand, right? Rio Ferdinand is counted as being black, and uh, I would say Vlad is about the same color as Rio Ferdinand. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. All right. Well, I 
I, in my notes, I've, I've said that he's black, so I'll, I'll, I'll stick to that. Uh, what, do you, what, what do you make of Yellow Dog taking on uh, Johnny B. Gay here? <laughs> this was... Oh, yes. uh... This, this wasn't good. I, I didn't think this was very good. Yellow Dog is one of the worst things. I mean, he comes out with Pillman's music. It's it's just stupid. Pillman definitely brings out the uh, homophobe aspects and slaps Johnny B. Bad and blows a kiss at him immediately. No, but that was great. I that didn't, that I, was I didn't, great because as, as, as Dog is blowing the kiss to Teddy Long, Bad kicks him in the back of the head. That was awesome. That was pretty good. Uh, JR doesn't give a shit and just keeps calling him Brian throughout this whole match. Flying Brian. <laughs> he, he did that completely. Um, I thought Bad was trying to, like we talked about last show, Parv. I mean, Bad was so green that he really didn't have a lot to kind of put a match together. And I don't think Pillman by this point was very motivated in helping him out. Uh, so the, Teddy and Bad, the end of this is they go after Yellow Dog's mask, but he escapes. Uh, but he gets knocked on the outside by the by uh, the ring by Bad. That's after the match. But uh, Pillman kept trying evading the left hook of Bad. Um, he ends up getting it. Uh, Long comes in for the very generic DQ here. I went. I went another star and a half for this one. Uh, not a fan. Yeah, Meltzer makes the same point about, uh, he said, Bad does a great ring entrance, a line that appears at least once in each observer, but he's nowhere near ready uh, in the ring for what they're pushing him for. Um, So, yeah, I agree with that. And and also, um, you know, he does that sunset flip. Uh, My my, my buddy, uh, Kelly, mentioned this uh, recently, that the sunset flip is like a pure babyface move, right? Like, it's not really a move that you see a lot of heels do. So, it, it's, I, I feel, I've always felt that Johnny B. Bad has a kind of, like, a baby face move set, if you know what I mean. Like, even though he's a heel. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. He seems to work, he seems to work like a baby face, even though, even though he's a heel. So, that's I, another kind of weird criticism of Bad. I don't know. I don't, I don't blame him for, you know, trying to be inventive and trying to, to have a spark. I mean, I it's the finishing moves this finishing move you know i mean i i think it does work well for a baby face but i i think i've seen so many heels do sunset flips over the year that i've never looked at a now the the from the top rope sunset flip yeah maybe but not a sunset flip in general but like there are certain moves that i see as baby face moves like the uh like drop kicks a kind of kind of baby face ish arm drags a baby face moves um you know i don't stuff know off the top yeah. rope like i don't know i think we're really missing what's really great about this match and that is the fringe on bad's tights on the front that look like piano keys yeah no y'all didn't notice that well, I did, but I don't know. I, don't know I mean, that, that wasn't like that wasn't like the thing that y'all came away from with this match was the the piano uh, key fringes on his tights. You have, you have really taken over the uh, Charles role of. Uh, uh, I'm representing. I'm, I'm representing Charles here, man. My, my my partner in crime on wrestling with the past. I was just waiting for one of y'all to notice it so I could uh, hype uh, the wrestling with the past podcast. Okay. Well, you know, but no, no, this, I, guys. If, if, if y'all are still both alive and doing this by the time you get to 1994, 
this match gets much better in 1994 with Pillman and Johnny B. Bad. So you have something to look forward to. Yeah, no, I, I think Johnny B. Bad gets a lot better, but he's very green here. Like, no, I, I agree. I, this, this match was nothing. This, this this was a step down from the last two good matches. So, yeah. Moving so, on. Moving on. So, yeah, I, we always knew the show was going to go long. Um, now, Eric Bischoff uh, is looking for Missy Hyatt. Um, uh, we're told that Jason Hervey has sent a card. Uh, great guy, Jason. He sent a card to, you know, uh, wish her well in his mat, in her match. Um, now uh, it turns out that Missy Hyatt's in the shower, um, and <laughs> Melter says at this point that uh, Bishop looked like he was auditioning for the WF with his 1960s used car used car salesman insincere overacting. Um, he says, "Oh, I love this job. Somebody's got to do it, right?" Uh, really 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 quite pervily and then um <laughs> he goes into the he goes in he opens the door on missy uh in the shower she she screams she throws stuff at him she throws like shampoo bottles at him and stuff and all i'm thinking here chad what a hypocrite missy Hyatt is because <laughs> she went into stan hansen's locker room twice yeah so what right has she got got to do this? Yeah, that's, little, my, that's my little role reversal. She wanted Hanson's lariat. And, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought, was, I thought uh, this was pretty pervy of Bischoff, though. Like, he <laughs> has to get an interview right now where this woman's clearly in the shower and he keeps coming in. I, I don't know. That seemed a little ridiculous. No, I, I actually think, like, I, I'm going to admit this. I think Bischoff looks really cool at this point in his career. Oh. Like, I, th- I think he's got a great look. <laughs> he's got a great look. I would have hired him. Um, okay, uh, moving on then. Um, Big Josh. And uh, I thought of you when I saw this match, Jad. Big Josh taking on Black Blood. Blood, yes. Um, and, oh, God, like, what the fuck is this now? Black Blood? Um, now, I, I wrote in my notes, at least his axe is a proper one not one made out of cardboard like the night stalker's axe at least this was a actual real axe here um now what did you make of this did you guys notice the girls coming out with uh big josh here yeah uh, big josh had some girls yep like better than his bears that he had at super brawl yeah, and uh, in fact, Jim Ross is really pervy on commentary about those girls, wasn't he? He was like, "Oh, I can tell these girls have been well fed." They're all there in their like Daisy Dukes and jean shorts. You know their yeah. hair. No, some of those girls are taller than Big Josh with as high as their hair. <laughs> Holy shit! Okay. Um, yeah, so oh, this is a lumberjack match, I should say. Uh, JYD, I know, is a lumberjack. Who is the slobby-looking guy with the beard? PN News. No, 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 not not oh. PN News. There was like a really kind of scraggly, jobbery-looking guy there. I couldn't identify. I didn't know who he was. So, uh, yeah. Um, so what do you make of this one, Chad? Uh, this this sucks. <laughs> there's, there's no... Anybody that's listening to these shows know I don't like uh, Big Josh... Black Blood's a terrible gimmick. Lumberjack, in general, don't usually produce good matches. This kind of followed those same tropes where uh, I, I, a couple moments that I did like. I mean, PN News did look absolutely massive in his uh, shorts. He was wearing some, like, a washed-out denim shorts and a T-shirt that was about two sizes too small. 
uh, Murdoch, I did like Dick Murdoch on the outside, suggesting that <laughs> Blood take his time to get back in. <laughs> that was that was probably your highlight. Yeah, you had the hardliners representing. Yeah, I, I actually think the uh, little fist fight that Murdoch and Eaton have uh, have when everything. I mean, because. Uh, this this followed every lumberjack trope you've ever seen, where eventually the lumberjacks break down and start fighting with each other for really no reason, and blood gets the axe and tries to hit Dustin with it, but uh, but um, uh, he tries to hit. I'm sorry, Big Josh with it, but Dustin Rhodes on the outside has the axe handle and hits uh, blood in the leg, and then an inside cradle wins the match for Big Josh. Another another really bad Big Josh match. Hey, this is the great thing about the network, is that I can go on the network and watch this. I think that's Black Bart. Oh, yeah, that is Black Bart. Yeah, I saw him out there. That yeah, is, you're, uh, your jobber guy, Parv, that's Black Bart. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's Black Bart, right, okay. Yeah, I was just Which, wondering who he was. I made right a note there. of that, because then it confused me the whole time, because I kept typing Black Bart instead of Black Blood. There's too yeah, much. I mean, but but black, black Blood is uh, Billy Jack Haynes. Yeah. Right. Well, that, that's, that's the tragedy of this match, is that if this was 1984 Portland, right. it probably would have been a really good match. You know, and if all of these guys uh, out on the outside were in their 1984 form, which would mean PN News would not be available as a lumberjack, it probably would have been a really great lumberjack match, you know? Now, uh, rock and rolls out there, the Midnights, the Hardliners, uh, JYD, uh, who should have been a world champion, as we talked about previously. Um, no, I mean, I don't know. This match was garbage. Holy shit, look at PN News's uh, fanny pack. <laughs> it gets It gets consumed by his blubber. Like, it's like his blubber, like his stomach is eating his fanny pack holy shit okay i'm sorry but as he, the match nothing match he is one fat fuck isn't he um <laughs> now, now uh like i'm gonna be the high vote on this match i thought it was surprisingly oh, uh, i thought it was surprisingly stiff chad um oh. i thought it was like we got a uh, a suplex by the black blood a belly to back suplex by him I thought it's probably by far the best we've seen of Big Josh, which wasn't really saying a lot. I gave it two stars. I thought it was, uh, you know, I mean, not brilliant, but... Yeah, it was inoffensive, is the way I, I, I put it. I was offended by it. What, what were you offended by? The, uh, I think he's right. Big Josh had some nice offense. There were some nice power moves by uh, Black Blood. Uh, you know, the lumberjack distractions and the dead crowd are what hurt the match. I mean, it was an inoffensive match that you know, really shouldn't have been on pay-per-view. They could have done the same match on, like, uh, Worldwide or something. Worldwide would have been Didn't good. you think he was stiff, uh, Chad? They were I did think the that Josh showed more intensity with his punches. I don't know if that was just familiarity with uh, with Billy Jack or what, but it, it, he did seem a little more focused because that is the... I, I mean, I understand that Matt touches on this in his piece that he wrote today, that it, it is tough to be a trained wrestler and act untrained, which is what they were asking uh, Born to do in the Big Josh character. But I, even, even with this, I thought this was a pretty an adequate performance as high as I'd go, whether I hated pretty much all his other ones. But I still <laughs> didn't like this match at all. Chad, uh, Big Josh is fast becoming like your Chief J Strongbow. 
you know, you really hate the guy. <laughs> I, I, I think it's so weird just because I love, like, Doink, I love. And even Born in the Rat Pack and his, his 80s stuff, I really love. Yeah, man. I, what what the hell is their problem? Character. It's this one character that I detest. I think you're racist against Lumberjacks. Lumberjacks, maybe so. So, so let's, let's move on. Uh, one Man Gang is taking on Al Giante. Um now Kevin Sullivan is channel, channeling uh, 1982 Florida here uh, because they're, they're, him and One Man Gang are all goffed up and he's talking about banshees and death wagons and rivers of fear and you know this kind of more of a satanic thing and One Man Gang looks like something out of the Rocky Horror Show um, you know loads of makeup on like uh, yeah so th- there was a promo and then we go straight in, and then <laughs> El Giante comes out carrying a fucking midget with uh, <laughs> actually with with three more midgets uh, who come oh, out. On oh, Wikipedia, all... it says El Giante with a gaggle of midgets. <laughs> and they're all like the midgets are all gothed up too. They're decked out like Kevin Sullivan. It's badass. Like, what what is all of this weirdness? Like this is like weird isn't it yeah it's weird (laughs) it's it's just like really strange I think what it is though it's trying to put a fresh spin on the one man gang character which is really stale by this point right I mean you know I think that's what it comes down to yeah but Al Giante with the the gothed up midgets very (laughs) very strange well I think that the point there is if you put midgets next to El Higante, that you're going to uh, make him look even taller than he already is. Now, uh, I thought that he looked. That's all I got, man. I thought he looked kind of stockier and bigger than he. Like, he seems like he's been on the weights to me. I Uh think he's on the gas. Higante? Yeah, Yeah, he looked bit like. He looks. He looked. Like, when he first came in, he was kind of skinny and horrible looking, but he's kind of, like, bulked up a bit. Um. And uh, I have to say, <laughs> well, well, Will, what did you make of this, man? <laughs> um, uh, nothing. I like the Alice Cooper portion, and I give uh, one-man game props for the huge bump from the top. That's all I got, and the logical finish. I did not give this negative stars. That's all I got. Uh, Chad? Yeah, it was, uh, this was no good. This was really bad. Um... Did you see the bumping Gigante did off the clothesline? It was in the show where we didn't see uh, DDP get electrocuted off the super kick of Zinc. This would have been your worst sell of uh, of the night. And they they kept trying to work in this ranch that Sullivan had on the outside. Sullivan, we have not been too high on the Sullivan stuff we've seen, Parv and. I thought he was pretty bad here, just kind of standing on the ramp watching and then randomly climbing the ropes and getting caught. And uh, salt, they tried to use the salt or powder or whatever. He gets kicked in one man gains eyes and then a clothesline wins it for a gigante. This was, I, I wrote this was straight horse shit and not good horse <laughs> shit. So. Minus, minus half a star from Meltzer. Yeah. Now, I, I, I have to say, I thought, uh, El Giante's selling was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Like, really funny. Um, 
and uh, yeah, he did a suplex. Oh my! Like he did another suplex. He did a hip toss. Uh, I don't think it was the worst match ever. I gave it a star and a half. Uh, you know, and I thought Al Giante was better than Chief J Strongbow here. It's not the worst match I've ever seen. So um, you gave this yeah. what? Star and a half. Oh yeah, nah. I was I was at a star. So I mean, I guess we're pretty close. Either one. <laughs> it's not very good praise, but anyway, let's uh, let's move on. Let's move on um, because uh, we get a recap now of the uh, Nikita and Sting feud. Um, Sly and Nikita Koloff attacking Sting over and over again, um, and this takes us straight into the chain match. Nikita Koloff taking on Sting. I thought we got a pretty cool camera angle going into this, didn't you? Like, uh, you could, like, see uh, see them, like, with the... I like that kind of behind Nikita Koloff with the chain mm-hmm. angle. Kind of stalking behind him. That's, that is good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what do you make of uh, this is this Sting taking on Nikita again? The uh, Well, the video package, first off, I thought it was very weird to hear Lance Russell like this late in 1991 calling uh, the attack that Nikita and Sting had. Uh, I thought that was just, it just fell out of place. The uh, people that listen to the Clash show know I really liked the Clash match uh, from Clash 18. I was really high on it, actually, and I thought they uh, lost a little bit here. Not, I, to me, this match just really, it followed again kind of like with the lumberjack match it followed the tropes of a chain match that you see where they're they're going back and forth and they're going to keep uh they're going to keep doing this where somebody touches two to three corners and then loses their momentum and i thought it was very vague on what constituted you losing your momentum throughout this match which was frustrating especially with the way the finish worked because the finish works where both guys hit hit each of the three corners but in between that they're performing a ton of moves so i have no idea and and each guy was selling so i have no idea what would have constituted losing your momentum through this sequence and then you get the inevitable finish where both guys are going for the last uh, turnbuckle and nikita wins by a split second so nikita wins the match i i gave this one two stars i didn't think it was uh, really good. I, I I thought it was generic, and I was a little disappointed coming off the Clash match and the focus and fire Sting showed. I thought Sting took a step back in this one. Yeah, like what's the cooldown time in between hits on the corners? Because I thought that was really like inconsistent. You know, inconsistent. It, like uh, you know, Nikita's last touch of the turnbuckle was you know two three minutes ago. Right. It still counts. Like right. <laughs> Um, anyway, but, but we'll, there were, uh... yeah, no, there were several spots like that. You know, I, I tell you what, though, man, I I really like these touch the corner chain matches, but this this really needed blood and it needed a better finish, right? I mean, you know, I mean, I thought it was solid. Uh, I like the, the the double crotch shots, you know, the crotch spots with the chain. I think those are always like great spots. Um. And, you know, if you're not going to have blood, I thought they used, like, the chain spots as well as you could in this match. But I'm kind of with Chad in that I was a little disappointed, man, that, like, even without blood, you can still be stiff. And this, really, Chad, right, this did not feel stiff. 
Yeah, yeah. It didn't yeah. stay so, or a focus. Then. So, so I mean, I had fun watching it because I'm a mark for these types of matches. But it's not like one of the better or best chain matches I've watched. But I wasn't like really offended or, or like, you know, like it, it, it didn't bother me as much as it bothered Chad. But by no means would I would I call this a great match. I, I think the two stars are a fair rating, Chad. Yeah, no, I, I have the same note. It needed more brutality. It needed blood. Um I actually thought it was quite smartly booked to continue the feud, but the JR gave away the gave it away, telegraphed it way too early. He was like, "Yeah, c- clearly there's more to this feud." It was like, "Hold on a second, this is being booked as a Russian chain match, so we don't know that yet, JR." Right. You know, like this. Um, this is this is Nikita's signature match. Right. So, so he telegraphed that way too early, I thought. Um, so it made it really obvious that you know there was going to be something like that. This wasn't a, the the blow off. Um, yeah, I, I also think that uh, Nikita is too small to be working uh, as a monster at this point. Like, him and Sting are basically the same size, but Nikita's working as if he's a much bigger man than Sting. So it doesn't really quite work vis- visually, you know? So, um, you know, he's not as big as he was in like, 1985-86, so it doesn't really come off very well. He's not as terrible as Flat Top Nikita in 88-89, uh, though, who was one of the worst workers of all time. So... <laughs> there we go. Um, let's let's get to the main event. This is what we've been waiting for. Well, so we're getting to the mixed gender tag match already. Oh, oh, sorry, I, for, I, for, I forgot. I forgot about that. Okay, how about this? <laughs> how about we just do that match first? Yeah. Do you want to switch? Okay. Do you, do you want to do that, Chad? Are we? Are you happy with that? Uh, Uns- uh, at this point, <laughs> whatever. whatever. <laughs> We haven't even hit the three-hour mark yet, guys. We're oh, good. No, no, we're, 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 this was always going to go long. This show, um, because there's so much. There's so, there is a lot to discuss. To be fair, um, so okay, let's let's switch up then uh, and put the Arn Anderson versus Paulie Dangerously versus Rick Steiner and Missy Hyatt match first. This closed uh, the show, people. Which, uh, this which, closed which, the uh, show. Yeah, this actually came last. It came after the main event, which is a real head scratcher because. Basically, the hardliners turn up immediately and kidnap Missy Hyatt. Um, so we're left with a two versus one. Wait, hold on, hold on. The best part of that, a fan tries to prevent yeah. Dick Murdoch from kidnapping Missy Hyatt. Yes. If this was 1978, Dick Murdoch would have punched that fan in the face. Murdoch took a shot at him. Um, but but no, but in 78, he would have connected. It was, uh, that was the most heat we saw <laughs> I don't know if that fan just said fuck it after everybody do, watched or what but no, do, do you know why this happened do you know why they had to do this kidnapping angle uh, wasn't it like the commission decided yeah, yeah there yeah. couldn't be any intergender <laughs> state athletic commission got involved no man versus woman confrontations oh man and uh, somebody in the office just made an oversight so how stupid can you get you know like how long have they been booking shows in the in in this uh, state? You know, um, so anyway, um, I they had I to... agree, man. Yes. Oh God, what embarrassment! So it goes it goes two minutes. Uh, it, it literally goes two minutes. Um, Rick lays out arm with a clothesline, pins poorly after a clothesline. Um, no, a know, Steiner line. A Steiner line, yeah. 
nothing much really is there anything to say about this it's just basically an abortion isn't it yeah it's just garbage yeah, i don't know what to say i mean i think the only thing to say is whether you think this is the most cheap or poor final match card on the show of a pay-per-view that you can remember <laughs> that, i mean i mean we've seen some bad ones like undertaker versus Underfaker. i mean that's obviously a terrible match but at least that had like a story and they did some semblance of a match this this really feels like an ending segment on wcw saturday night they just threw together it's 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 absolutely nothing yeah and as we're going to see in the wyndham luger cage no reason to have the cage whatsoever. The only reason was to keep Paulie from running away, right? Right. But there is actually no use of the cage whatsoever in this match. Yeah, it is so like I mean, I don't know. It's such a head like as a head scratcher. Maybe um, I don't know if the if the commit like I don't know like the, surely they could have done something better than what they did here though. Uh, well, like, I, I think. Yeah, this, this being the main event, quote-unquote, I think does also, though, like with what Matt D was talking about, I think this helps perpetuate this as the worst show of all time just because it's so funny to, like, point to, oh, Missy Hyatt was in the main event, you know? Do you need to say, do you need to hear more? You know, like, that's such an easy kind of crutch to use. It's Where, clearly you, not, yeah, it's not even, It's clearly not the main event, though, you right, know? It clearly right. isn't. This is one of those things where if you look at the final match of the card as the main event, then you're going to imagine that, oh, what the hell is Missy Hyde doing? No, this is so, you know, those fans who want to leave early can get to their cars out in the parking lot. That's all this is. Yeah, and, and you know, so many so many shows and don't have the main event as the last match. Um, like, granted, WCW, NWA typically had the main event as the last match, but not all shows. I mean, WF often didn't have the last well, or even, I mean, Russell War 89, Flair versus Steamboat isn't the last match, so. Right. That's no, that's example. true. That's another great example. Yeah, very good. So, so anyway, let, let's let's get to the true main event then. It's Lex Luger versus Barry Windham. Wait, uh, sold out 98, uh, Bret Hart versus Rick yes, Flair. Yes, sold out 98 has a Savage Luger match yep. that's kind of, I mean, it's, it's, I would say it's more consequential than this, but still yep. probably about the third or a fourth most important match on that yep. card because Giant versus Nash was higher up too, and then Brett Flair really is what sold the pay-per-view. Very good. Yeah. Uh, so, so Barry Windham taking on Lex Luger in the cage. Uh, the We Want Flair uh, chant starts before the match has even, uh, you know, before the match has even started, they're chanting We Want Flair. Now, before we get into this match, I have a little, a little thing I want to say here. And it's going to be controversial. Okay. It's going to be controversial. It's going to be oh, controversial. The state of the power of addresses. Oh, right. shit. Yes. I think Barry Windham was the wrong guy for this match. Yeah. Okay. Well, Make it a good start. Here, here it is. Make it Sting. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Sting and Luger had history. Okay. They needed to make it a friend versus friend match. Okay. Fuck the Nikita Kola feud. Nobody cared. Okay. Then uh, the inevitable heel turn. Uh, will mean something you know the, the Luger heel turn that they were planning would actually mean something when it's on his friend Sting just my take Barry Windham was doing absolutely nothing for most of 1991 okay so if you're a fan watching you're like what so Barry Windham's in the main event now he's been doing absolutely fuck all during 1991 will you agree with that Chad he, he's not been in anything meaningful at all 
um, other than like doing a few like tags with Arn. Well, he had the, he had the uh, feud with Pillman. It's I mean it's not really kind of like I mean hear me yeah, out here, and, okay? no but no Parv you're right because now Pillman's dressed up as the yellow fucking well that's that's true I mean they, they I mean put that, but... nonsense. What, what, what I'm what I'm saying is this feels like a sudden elevation of Wyndham. And it was never going to come off. They needed to put on a match that was going to make the people there as best as possible forget about Flair. Not not one that actually draws attention and highlights the fact that he's not there. Okay? You put on Luger versus Sting. I mean, Sting still got a pop on this show. This crowd was dead for most of this show. They still cheered for Sting. If they put on Sting versus Luger, and then they do the, they do a heel turn or whatever... Then you you make Luger a bigger heel, and it actually means something. And you give them a match which isn't going to highlight so egregiously right. that Flair is not there. That that's my that's my. So, so what was con- what was controversial about that? Well, the idea that Barry Windham shouldn't have been in the match. I don't think anyone disagrees with that. Right. I don't disagree. No, the, everything the you said was completely logical. No, it was it was sound. In fact. Before you even got the word sting out of your mouth, I knew who you were going to replace Barry Windham with. And I agree completely with you. Because what it would have done was saying, we don't need Flair. And instead of replacing Flair with another old, washed up, past his prime guy, you could have put these two young guys, right? Or, you know, as young as you want to make Luger and Sting, you know, uh, hey, these are our new main eventers. We're, you know, we're, we're not going to have old 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds. But they had the perfect lead-in. They had the top 10. Yeah. All they needed to say was Sting and, Sting and Luger are one and two. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. No, you're, you're right. And the finish they went with in this match would have had more impact if it had been against Sting, too. Uh, I think oh, absolutely. goes without saying. And would have definitely built up uh, where you'd clamor more for a rematch. Oh, you you have a great feud going into the the fall and the the winter. Uh, no, Barv. I mean, that was great booking. You should have been booking WCW back then. How old, how old were you in like 1991? Like nine? I was nine, but I did have a bow tie. So yeah. I think that... <laughs> yeah, embrace a briefcase and a briefcase and a briefcase and braces. And uh, yeah, or, or what do you say, suspenders? Yeah, I, I was so, I was I was with Will on that dumb argument. I thought you were wearing like legitimate dental braces, but anyway, <laughs> don't be ridiculous. Well, what, do you, so what, do y'all, what do y'all call dental braces in the UK? Well, as if we have dental care in the UK. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sorry, that was. A... Do, y'all, do y'all call them cappies or, or like? Uh... Let, let's 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 get back to this match because <laughs> We need to, we need to go home here. So, silk um, windows. I'm sorry, I'm just making up words now. Chad, what do you make of this uh, this main event? <laughs> oh, I, I, I would encourage everyone to read the Matt D piece if you hadn't yet. Uh, he echoes lots of my thoughts. This this simply was a match that had a lot of odds to overcome, uh, kind of insurmountable, and they, I, w- I would say Luger certainly tried. I thought Wyndham was adequate in this match i thought luger gave a really good performance and 
enjoyed the way he worked this match, but this was a match that never was going to be successful, and as a result, it, it it really wasn't. I mean, it was it was fine for what it was. It's kind of a tough match to rank because I do like it, the actual work inside. I especially like, and Matt D points this out, the uh, the cage work that Wyndham does do where he uses the cage as kind of a launching point uh, to use uh, high-flying high, high flying maneuvers or he uh, blocks the rack with the cage. I, I thought that was good. The The match is pretty short. It's, it's, it's a little hurried, and it, I, I think it's really... I, I'm someone that, as we know, tries tremendously not to have the crowd affect my enjoyment of any match. If if the crowd shits on it, like the Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson, I, I say they're in the wrong. If they're going crazy for some of these modern-day New Japan matches that I don't think too highly of, I, I say they're in the wrong, according to my opinion. And then this this was a match where it's it's really tough to put that out of your mind. Like how a, uh, I guess how a Rock versus Hogan type match can you really kind of go the other way? And no matter what the in ring action is like, you look past it because of the great crowd reaction. This is the other way that no matter how good the in ring action was, I, I just can't get past a crowd reaction, and it is detrimental to the match overall as a whole. I, I went the exact opposite way, Parf, um, and, and that I wanted to, t- I know that I've seen this match before. I know that we want Flair Chancer in the background. I know the crowd's shitting on this match. Okay? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tried to tune all that out. You know what I mean? And just focus on the action in the ring. And I thought action-wise in the ring, it was a really good match. I thought that the counters by both guys were really smart. Uh, I think me, Matt, uh, Chad, probably you probably had the same thing in your notes, Parv. The uh, Barry using the uh, cage to push off to escape the torture rack. Did you have that in your notes as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, he has that sweet backdrop driver that he used to follow up with. Uh, he countered a superplex with a nice flying lariat. You know, um, I thought the finish, the way it came off with the, uh, you know the heel turn and everything. I thought it was a little flat and uh, you know, I, it almost felt like a really great match where they really didn't need the cage. You know, you know what I mean? Overall, the cage didn't like really like shape the match. There were some gimmicks where it helped, but they could have had a really good match without the cage. Um, So I thought it was a really good match, you know, if you take out the context and the crowd and everything, I have no problem watching this match. And, and once again, kind of reinforces that, hey, I've seen much worse pay-per-views than this. I've seen many uh, pay-per-view main events that were much worse than this. You know, if we're, if we're looking at this as the true main event. So with that said, yes, the We Want Flair thing cast a shadow. Your sting argument is a great argument. It absolutely would have been a great uh, way to kind of erase the 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 stain of Flair not being there. I don't even think we would have gotten any we want Flair chance with Sting in the main event. No. Well, uh, notwithstanding uh, my uh, fantasy booking there, the, the, you know the fact is they went with Wyndham versus Luger. 
And just before this match, I have to say, one of the great unheralded moments in wrestling history, I would say, uh, in a in a segment that I would say is a five-star... <laughs> it's a five-star segment. Oh, okay? shit. Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone have one of their greatest ever exchanges, okay? They mention the Crockett Cup in 1987. They talk about Wyndham's father, Black Jack Mulligan. Um, they talk about Wyndham as a Neely man. Uh, Jim Ross calls him the third hitter on the team. Um... They talk about Luger having success early in his career. They talk about it being power versus technique. And um, all of this is basically because they're constructing the cage, right? They need to kill five minutes. But they do as good a job. (laughs) They they do as good a job as humanly possible to make this an interesting match, despite the context, despite the chance, etc., etc. If you listen to what those guys say, they really put this over as an intriguing cancer. We don't know who's going to win. Shivani goes with Wyndham. Ross goes with, you know, it's really like very, I think they build it up as a legitimate sports contest. So I, I think that's a really great piece of uh, work to camera that those two do. Um, and then in the match itself, I mean, I really think like Luger is showing no signs of dropping off from his uh, 88, 89, 90 form. He's just as good here. He's a, he looks excellent in this match. Um, you know, everything he does is crisp. Great scoop power slam, the torture rack. Great clothesline. I love his clothesline. Um, you know, Wyndham is doing everything he can to make him look like a million dollars. You know, all, all of the stuff that you guys touched on. I, I think this is a really, uh, really good match. I went three and, uh, three and three quarters for it. I thought it was wow. very neat. I thought it was very neat that um, Harley Ray says now's the time and uh, Luger wins with the pile driver for three and all throughout the match uh, Shivani's like oh I haven't seen Luger do this move before I haven't seen Luger do this move before and then it's revealed that all of these new moves are the results of like Harley Race's uh, tutelage you know I, I think that's you know done very cleverly I do have to mention Matt, Matt D says it in his notes uh, in the uh, in the essay that he's written that having Race and Hughes come down was very smart, um, and there's no reason why they couldn't have added drama by by arriving earlier in the match. Um, this crowd needed every distraction it could get. Blah blah blah. Uh, frankly, there was no fooling this crowd into thinking they were witnessing history. Now I have to say I've always thought that um, Race and Hughes actually hurt this match. Despite the fact that I think it's, you know, the angle with Luger learning new moves is interesting and things. I actually think that, like, uh, the the night is confusing enough as it is. Flair isn't there. They're not getting the match they wanted. And now, on top of all of that, you're going to put a heel turn on? I think they should have given Luger his moment in the sun. You know, like, it doesn't feel... it, It seems to end with a fizzle, you know? Give the guy a big win and have him turn heel on the next, you know, pro or whatever, on the on the next Saturday night. I don't know if he should have turned heel straight away, you know, because um, it it just it, it always came off as confusing to me. All of that. Any thoughts on the race race and like? It's not even explained why Mister Hughes is there. He's meant to be with the York Foundation, so it just feels confusing and a bit off. What do you guys think? I agree. <laughs> no, I, I don't agree with your rating. I think I, I probably would have put it closer at three stars, you know, because I think Wait. that it, it finished a little quicker. And I do absolutely agree 
that race and Hughes did not need to be out there at the end. I absolutely agree that that's why I said the finish came off flat, you know, that the hill turn didn't feel uh, monumental enough. If you're going to have who is now going to be your second de facto baby face turn heel, uh, you know, now that Flair's gone, it should have come off uh, bigger than it did. I, I just think it's too much to take in. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now Luger's the champion. Okay. I can handle that. Now he's a heel. It's like, it's, it's too it's too much for an Ed already kind of burnt out, confused. Yeah, yeah they should have known better. Uh, Meltzer went three stars, Chad. Uh, can I tease you for a rating? <laughs> I, uh, I uh, when I watched this uh, with my 91 stuff, I went two and a half. I'm, I'm really surprised at how high you are. I, I think I like this probably a smidge better this time but but not a lot i i can't see myself going above three and i and i kind of feel bad uh actually doing three because even with all the i guess with all the components i have a hard time still calling this a good match and three stars is kind of my cutoff from that so uh i'm going with two and three quarters myself i think the, the flare chance do subside I, I do. They don't continue. They're very loud at the start of the match. I do think they kind of die down a bit. I'm not going to say the crowd was was into it, and it does seem to fall flat the finish. Yeah. But they do subside a little bit. Oh, you're it's, right. It's, you're it's, right. So, okay. So I, I think that I mean, let's do our end of show awards then. Um, and uh, we we have to address the question: worst pay per view of all time. For me, guys, it's not even in the conversation for worst pay per view. Worst pay per view up to this point. Worst uh, WC, NWA WCW pay per view. Uh, Chad, what do you reckon? Pay per view wise, I would say yes. Yeah, I would say probably really, compared to Bunkhouse Stampede. Bunkhouse Stampede. Damn it, I forgot about stupid ass Bunkhouse Stampede. Yeah, I think Bunkhouse Stampede probably. And, and what was the really bad Starcade? Was it '89? That was horrible. Well, 89 is the Iron Man tournament, which I think um, we actually liked a pretty good bit. Yeah, I, 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 no, I think heard... I think 89, Starcade, I like better than this. I, I, I could see some people maybe saying something like Starcade 90 with Black Scorpion versus Sting, but I, I think yeah, the, was... Doom, the Doom versus Horseman uh, yeah. fight kind of throws a wrench into that for me yeah but but then you have like gibson and morton and then that excellent six-man tag from this one and the main well, like I, I i felt like this is better than that i don't know like honestly for me like and i think i do think this shows that it's different like i mean melter says i'm not sure it was the worst pay-per-view in company history um although for the quality of matches it surely was for me it felt like just another show you know like we been like the stuff we've been watching Chad in ninety one hasn't been brilliant, and this just felt like just another show. Well, I you think know, it, I would say the clashes skew that a lot, though. I mean, I mean the the Wrestle War and and Super Brawl wasn't spectacular. Uh, I mean, Wrestle War I thought was actually a good pay per view. Uh, Super Brawl I thought was uneven up and down, but the the clashes have been really bad around this point, and so compared to that it feels like another show but if yeah. you are talking about a show you had to shell out money for uh, i would have bunkhouse stampede as the worst and this is my number two currently really y'all like starcade 89 
Starcade Eight yeah, Nine yeah. is pretty good. Man, I, I thought that show was so friend. boring. Nah, I, I, I watched it last in 2007, so it was seven years ago. Yeah, I yeah. thought that was so boring. I thought the best thing was the Steiners versus the Wild Samoans on that one. Luke Luger Flair it is not one of the better matches of theirs, but it's not that bad. And Sting Flair too. Sting Flair boring. Anyway, you can right. take up your uh, your boy Charles on that one because he was uh, with us on that one. Oh, that's fine. I don't care. Yeah, no, but would you agree with my claim that it's not even in the conversation and it's not even in the bottom ten? Oh, yes. No, it's not overall. Like, I mean, like going company forward. history, uh, not, e- not even close. All time, yeah, all time. Not even Go, close. Going forward, I, I, I really would like to hear an argument just, uh, I mean, nobody thinks that uh, King of the Ring 95 is any good either, but I could not possibly see how you would think King of the Ring 95 is better than this. Uh, King of the Ring 1999 is terrible. That's a terrible show. So many, so many bad Russo shows. We, we got the Russo stuff um, in 2000. R- R- just, just with Vince and 99 even. Just with Vince Russo existing eliminates this from like one of the worst shows of all time. Even uh, maybe but, Great American Bash 95 with the Renegade beating Anderson. Oh stuff. my God, that we'll, that's we'll get to that that's episode. some horrible paint. I also want to say, I also want to say that uh, the WF have had worse pay-per-views even up to this point. Like, um, I, I think that wrestling fans in general, that you know, they have so much nostalgia for those early WF pay-per-views, and really a lot of those shows aren't that good. You know, I think the first few rest, the, like the first couple of WrestleManias are basically glorified MSG shows. Like, they're, they're really not very good shows. I don't know. Say, um, my favorite WrestleMania of the '80s is WrestleMania two. Oh man, uh, <laughs> I got emotional attachment to it, man. Wait, yeah, but this is but this is the thing. Like SummerSlam '88 is not a good show, you know. Yeah, SummerSlam '88, like... or I mean WrestleMania Four, Gibson versus uh, Morton is better than any match on WrestleMania Four. Well, so's the main event. <laughs> so main event, I would say, is better than yeah. I guess WrestleMania Four's best match is what DBLC, uh Savage, I'd put the main event above that, or at least very close. So, yeah. Oh, so, so that, you know, all I'm saying is, is that there are. It's not like, and nobody talks about. Nobody really talks about those shows in terms of the worst ever, right? I, I'm, well, I mean, I think one thing with this is the bad is really bad. One thing with those uh, WWF pay per views is they may have had a lot of crap and matches on it, like WrestleMania two. Um, I mean, Velvet McIntyre versus Fabulous Moolah. I mean, yeah, that's no good, but it goes two minutes. Uh, ditto for George Wells versus Jake the Snake. Or, oh, well, hold on, or even hold on. Savage versus Steel. Hold on here, though. Okay. The really bad shit on this show. I mean, like, we're talking like El Gigante versus One Man Gang. The first three matches were pure garbage. But they were garbage matches. You know what I mean? The main event matches of Sting Nikita, I know it was disappointing, but it wasn't embarrassing. You know what I mean? Like, we've seen matches where you're like, God, I'm embarrassed to watch this, right? You don't get that with Sting Nikita. Wyndham Luger has that weird atmosphere, but you're not embarrassed by it. Gibson, Morton, actively good. 
Freebird six man, I'm still saying actively good. Everything else is mid card and opening card type bullshit. You, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, just as a basic comparison, right? Super Brawl one, Dan Spivey versus Ricky Morton, nothing man. Yeah, that's a nothing. Big 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 Josh versus Black Bart, nothing match. Oz versus Tim Parker, nothing match. Um, uh, El Gigante versus Sid Vicious, awful match. You know, it's it, it's like it's not that unusual to have a card from this period with shit on it. You know. But I think that I mean I think those Super Brawl matches, one the the turnaround it helps it, but secondly the fact that they were short. I mean I mean the the scaffold match is not some twenty minute epic, but it's it's the first thing on the show. Yeah, but come it on, is it's a, a scaffold. Minutes. It's it's not. I, I mean, I'm just I'm just just. I mean, I agree. You know, with you the entire that. purpose was they hoped P and News would slip on a banana, fall, and splatter all over the ring. That was the hope. So let's uh, let's uh, do our. I, I think we're all basically agreed though that this is not really. You know, it, it's not a great. It's not a good show by any. No, it's it's not a thumbs up. I would have been one of those two thumbs in the middle guys writing into Meltzer. But it's not; it doesn't deserve its rep as like worst show ever, you know. And it will always crop up in like worst ever show lists put right, together right, by right. Bleacher Report or whoever. Okay, so um, let's uh, d- d- uh, do our awards then. So match of the night, uh, Will. Obviously, the Morton versus Gibson match. Uh, Chad. That is uh, going to be my pick as well, but maybe not yours. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the Luger versus Wyndham. I think it's uh, better than people give it credit for. Um, I actually think that Luger's, you know, at the peak of his powers still, despite everything going on. Um, uh, MVP. Uh, Chad? Uh, so actually just segued well into my MVP because I am going with Luger on the show. I, I thought he had a lot to overcome and kind of even from a smart mark uh, perspective had people doubting him Meltzer and Keller and I thought he turned in a real good performance and did about as good as you could ask in that match given all the circumstances well MVP Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Robert Gibson for selling the hell out of that leg (laughs) and Ricky Morton for actually convincing me he's a great heel so you're going with Morton or Gibson? Ah, co-MVPs I'm yeah. listening out. Uh, I, I, I hate it when people do the car. Oh, shut up. Yet. Okay, I'll go Robert Gibson because I know you hate him, Barb. <laughs> I know you despise Robert Gibson's chest hair. And, and you keep poking those three chest hairs out of your, your you know, body and thinking, damn it, why can't I have Robert Gibson's chest hair? <laughs> Makes you well, bitter. My, my, uh, my MVP. Do, do you really that. secretly wish you had Robert Gibson's Roman eye? I, uh, I, I, I'm not a fan of Robert Gibson as, it, as anybody would know. Do you wish um, you had his eyeball though? That like goes like se- you know seven different directions at once. No, he's a very ugly man. Uh, my my MVP is uh, Tony Schiavone. Um, oh I just, God! I hate it Whoa. when people use announcers as their MVP. <laughs> Parm does this every show. It's like the I don't the, I, this the was video jet- camera guy that catches a good <laughs> shot or something. It's so such a tangible. <laughs> Seriously, this is Tony Schiavone's like best ever performance on this show. But that that shit that he's selling before the uh, before the main before the main event is incredible. 
a very underrated. So I just wanted to underline the point that Shivani's underrated on that as a kind of analyst. My Tony Shivani. MVP and news. No, my MVP. Yeah. DDP's fanny pack. Sorry. So uh, Billy Graham, Billy Graham Award winner, Chad. Kind of an embarrassment of riches, but I, I think since Will brought him up so much, I'm gonna give it to PN News. I mean, this this, fat, this fat fuck just wallowed around on the scaffold. He looked absolutely ridiculous in the uh, in the down lumberjack match with his fanny pack and tight t-shirt. Uh, an atrocious performance for him. Don't don't you actively feel bad for his fanny pack almost getting eaten by his blubber? <laughs> well. Uh, I'm going to give it to the fringes, uh, shaped like piano keys on DD. No, on Dying Bed. Um, no, uh, I think by far, by far, the the worst person in this was Oz. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Nash no. really bad in this. No, P and News is really bad too. I have to. Now he's had a pretty easy ride from us, I reckon, Chad, comparatively. But um, this, <laughs> the selling of El Giante <laughs> is the most incredible. Like you w- watch that match again and see the way he takes shots from one man gang, the way the way he wobbles around. It's ridiculous. He, acts, he acts like really appalled and shocked that somebody would hit him in a wrestling match. I, I, it's it's a very. Um... It's a very subtle performance he gives. <laughs> so, so just look at that. PN News, Oz, El Gionte. Um Excellent. Uh, and what, what, where are we going next time, uh, Chad? What's the next show? Uh, Clash of the Champions 16, Fall Brawl. Um, a pretty nondescript clash, so... Uh, some things going on. I, I guess it's it's centered around the uh, main event is for the vacant WCW World Tag Team Championship. So, uh, because of Scott Steiner's injury, so that's where we're at. Well, uh, thank you very much uh, for everyone listening. If you've got this far, and uh, Will, thanks for sticking the course with us. Hey, can I come back on next summer? No. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> Fuck you. God damn it, Chad. I'm going to stab you in the nuts. Anyway. (laughs) Okay, so I'll be on next summer. I'm just... All right. I'm signing myself up for next summer. (laughs) Thank you very much, Will. And uh, remember, our uh, question for the listeners, would you have fired Ric Flair? And and, and our other question for the listeners, should I use a saw or a knife to stab Chad in the nuts? Anyway. (laughs) Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody.